Welcome to the Press Conference Podcast, Mixtape 19. I'm Dave, and I'm here with my co-host, Phil. How's it going, mate? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, doing good. Uh, really excited to get this one out there. It's a lengthy one, so we'll keep it short. Um, so, yeah. No, yeah, this was a great chat, I think, um, and a lengthy one, but I think it's great because there were some amazing stories with some amazing tracks, and um, yeah, it's well worth the listen if you, if you, if you are keen um we've obviously been partnering with stiff cut records over the last maybe 10 weeks give or take yep. um and this kind of caps the end of that so we have a guest on uh who i guess runs stiff cut along with alex that we haven't had the chance to chat to yet yeah so um the guest this week is sean uh so he kind of runs the bit of the social media stuff and and works in the background um as helping alex come up with ideas and 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 get bands and and yeah, I think he's basically. been he's been a big reason why I think we've had um, well Agnes on last week was a big yep. one, obviously getting uh, their new record to vinyl um, was a big part in that. I know D's nuts, I think Bad Love as well. A few other big releases they've had have kept come through Sean. So uh, it was great actually finally getting him on because not only is he a label mate, he's a good friend of ours, and uh, yeah, it was a great chat. Yeah, and I think it's a great way to round off the. Uh, Ran off the sponsorship series and yeah. it was a great chat. And um, yeah, the, we go everywhere, I think. It goes deep, it goes light. There's some flame on AFI and yeah, I'm interested to see what people think. Um, yeah, fuck, I just, I'll sign up to it early. I, I talked a bit of shit about <laughs> AFI, but we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Yep. <laughs> One day, next year. Let's enjoy. Well, everyone, if you're listening, enjoy this podcast and we'll see you on the other side. All right, so we're here with Sean from Stiff Cut Records, the Dream Division. How's it going, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. How are you guys? Yeah, doing well. I'm very good. Awesome. Nice Saturday evening. Yeah, Saturday night. We've had a pretty cracking day. I saw you earlier today, Sean, at the at the record fair that went off pretty well, I'd say. Yeah, that went good. We had a pretty good turnout and it was good to uh, finally meet some people in the flesh that I'd sort of known for a while online and... Yeah, it's just it was good, just having a general catch up. Really, how was it? Like, I mean, I was a bit devo that I couldn't make it down. Um, I think all these little Melbourne trips are catching up to to me, <laughs> and I had to something had to give. How, how was it with? Because uh, I know, like, you guys were there, obviously, um, Stiff Cut, the Dream Division, but also ABVC, the Summit guys. Um, I know some other like more independent stuff, like Dweller Records and things like that. How, how was it? Like, how was the vibe throughout the day? Peaks and troughs of people coming in and out. It was an awesome vibe. Yeah, it was definitely, um, there was definitely some like busy points and some lulls in there, but it was cool. Like Ryan was there from Tyrone Chorus and Keith had a pretty big setup there in front of the stage. So it was cool. It was just people coming in and out and having to catch up with some people and checking out some spicy records and Alex come down. So that was cool. Hanging out with Alex for the day and JJ popped in for a few hours and met some people and signed some stuff and had a chat with him for a while. So, yeah, it was good. It was a good day. That's so cool. Melbourne turned the weather on for the day too, so that was a nice surprise. Yeah, yeah. It looked pretty gloomy early on, but then, yeah, the sun poked through and when I was there, it wasn't super busy. It was like, it was going going pretty well, but there was also like the gloom guys were selling merch. Mm -hmm. Uh, Life Lair Regrets were there selling stuff. Nice. Um, 
yeah, so it was really cool just to see a good range of people. There was some people selling, um, I forgot what they're called. They were selling like jewelry and t-shirts and stuff as well. And it was just yeah, a good cool. range of people from the scene and a, a good range of selection. So it was a bit of everything for everyone, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there was a few there that I wasn't familiar with, but it was definitely a pretty cool vibe. Yeah, I'd be keen to do it again for sure. I've got uh, two questions for the both of you. Firstly, did you guys pick up anything? Yep. Yeah. I copped uh, Battle for the Sun by Placebo off Keith. Ooh, and nice. I picked up the Golden Black Smash Relica because I was slack every time that dropped and kept missing out. And when Pikey said that they had something from every release, I pretty much went straight over there when they opened the doors and nice. mapped that for myself. So, yeah. Then I picked up Bad Juju that I copped a while ago. I just never picked it up off him. So, yeah. Yeah, nice. Which um, Did you get the, the black or the blue? Or the black and red the, or the blue? I got the blue. I'm a sucker for a matching cover. Yeah. Blue's better. Blue's the best color. <laughs> it is nice, yeah. Which... What'd you get, Dave? So I got there bright and early. Luckily, Harvey had a buy for basketball. So I I got in the car super early and um, hit up Dweller Records for the saving face of five tape, which is sick because they're numbered. It's got a different cover to the other variant as well inside. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. So it's got a little section where it's hand numbered. Cool. And um, I got the D's Nuts, Stay True, Family and Friends. And also they look this, so great. Yeah, came out really good. You guys did a great job on that. I love the gold foil on the front on the cover as well. I think it really tops it off. Yeah, and nice I, touch. I also got the Starve seven inch. So after seeing them at <coughs> Stay Gold like a few months ago, with Saving Bloom Face, show? yeah, the Bloom Show. Yeah, that was um, great. That's it. Yeah, I was like, I got to get that seven inch, so I grabbed that today. Very good, good pickups. Um, and then, second question: Did you guys get a pizza? Negatory. They no uh, pizzas. Oh. I, I was keen, but I think um, they don't they don't fire up the pizza oven until like half past five or something. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So, because um, we had to be out of there by four, I was sort of um, stressing out a little bit having. All these boxes of records in the ute, in the sun. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, had a cheeky lemonade with Pikey and Alex, and then uh, hit the road. Your beauty just means that we're going to have to get a get a slice at the charity show if uh, you both are heading to it at the end of the year. Yeah, I'd like to go. It's a possibility. Clay J, saving face, got to be there. Bench cup, oh, I'm keen. Mm-hmm. Very keen. So we'll get uh, into the question, Sean. Yeah. So, sure. um, so. We start off with these, and uh, it just gives everyone a bit of a backstory. So, how did you get into music as a as a youngin? Um, my dad is definitely responsible for that. I think um, I always found if we come home with mum after going out somewhere doing the shopping, whatever, and dad had a bit of rare home alone time, you'd find him. You'd hear Led Zeppelin or early David Bowie or something like that playing from the drive the driveway and you'd come inside and dad would be sitting on the floor yeah, in front awesome. of the turntables listening to some records and I used to like sitting down there with him too and I had my select couple songs that he was probably sick of after a while that I'd ask him <laughs> to put on 
but um yeah definitely that's so I've sort of always been in brown music in that regard and dad had a couple of guitars and stuff like that so I was sort of always exposed to that through him really from a, ever since I can remember really I love that story I remember uh the same thing would happen to me coming home with with my mom and my dad he'd be Blair and the Cure every time, uh, pretty much. And uh, yeah, you've just taken me back there. I haven't thought about that in a long time. So that's awesome, that story. Yeah. Yeah, I was the same, but my dad was more of the, in the CD era. So he kind of had done away with records before I was born, basically. So he had a lot of CDs, a lot of soundtracks and stuff. So we used to pump the Top Gun soundtrack through his stereo. Oh, we yeah, used to have nice. the Days of Thunder soundtrack. Yeah. That'd be sick. We didn't have any soundtracks growing up, hey? Like, it, it, like me and my sister would have been the first with soundtracks. With Dad, it was always um, sort of like the, the underground sort of, I guess it was like heavy metal back then. Uh, now you'd call it like hard rock or heavy rock or something. But, you know, like yeah. Led Zeppelin, um, Hawkwind, that sort of thing. Jimi Hendrix was a big one. Um, Cream, all, all that sort of like early like timeless stuff i guess it's still a lot of stuff i love listening to now even but yeah yeah. and if i'm correct last time i came and visited you your dad still had some records that he gifted you right yeah so he would usually like every time dad would visit he'd bring like half a dozen dozen records with him and he'd leave them with me and then um i'd have have a listen to them and then next time dad would come and visit he'd take them back and swap them out with another half dozen or whatever so yeah it's sort of like a and i'd lend a few to him here and there and would do a bit of a record swap type thing so that's cool especially now that i've got more because he more did that early on when i was was sort of just starting out yeah so yeah there's yeah definitely a few that I'm reluctant to give back to him, like some of those Pink Floyd ones and stuff like that I try to hang on to, but yeah. <laughs> I know Lauren doesn't listen to this, but I actually snagged a couple from, from her dad because he just had them in a box in the garage. Like they're, they're not in great condition, but there's like a, I think a, a first press Beatles white album like in there. But it's like, it'd be worth nothing because it's just been sitting in a box in the garage and it's like all the glue's gone off all the joints and stuff. And Yeah. But yeah, it's poppy. It would need a really, really good clean for it to bring it back. But the like have, just feeling it, that kind of stuff from that era is really cool. Yeah. just It's just different. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm, I'm so devastated because my parents sold all their vinyl. I reckon it, like... Oh maybe 20 years ago, 25 years ago now. And I remember going through the garage, we're clearing out a heap of stuff and the records were there and they sold them all for two bucks a pop or like 50 bucks for the whole crate. Um, and then as I started getting into vinyl and, and, and you guys probably know, I've been trying to get the Cure discography uh, slowly but surely because everything's expensive these days and some of them, a lot of them at the moment have been record store day uh, variants, so they're not cheap. Um and my dad would come over and he said, I used to have this. I used to have this. I had, the, I had everything. He had, you know, fucking compilations of B-sides and things and absolutely devastating that they got rid of them. But um, what I was fortunate to keep was my dad had a very extensive live concert DVD collection. 
So I kept that luckily, um, but spewing that there's no vinyl from my mum or my dad left. It was a bit devo. Spewing. I was a bit like that with uh, dad's record player and his hi-fi system. Uh, he had the, like, the, the old school silver. It's like the, the AV receiver with the big switches on it and yeah. the, like the voltmeters and the, like <coughs> yeah, that's cool. the cassette deck and then it's like stacked three or four high in this like cradle thing and the floor speakers next to it and um he didn't listen to them for ages because I think the stylus or the cart or something was yeah was wrecked on it and I don't know if it's just like the too hard basket because he was so busy working for himself yeah. or what but it sort of just sat there for a long time and it'd only get used if I went around there for dinner when we had um, Miles, my eldest son, and Dad had like this big like packing box that he sort of ripped the side off and have it on its side, so it had like a bottom and two sides and a back to it type yeah. thing. And he set some like pillows and cushions in there to sort of prop him up and have this toddler sitting in there. And you've got these switches with these lights and stuff, and Dad had sort of set it up like it was a cockpit for a rocket ship. And um, that, so cool. that was all I got used for. And then when I started collecting, I, I said to Dad, I said, do you still have your JVC, like, hi-fi system? And he's like, no, I got rid of it. Like, Oh, no. It, it was, like, wrecked. and or it wasn't wrecked. It just needed a bit of TLC on the turntable. But yep. And then, yeah, he was, like, a little bit devastated. He was probably more devastated than me because he was just, like, you know, and I, yeah. I hate to think what it would cost to sort of, like, replace that sort of thing. And, I mean, I've got my own setup now, but it would – would have definitely been cool to have that to like yeah. to carry on sort of thing you know what i mean yeah absolutely I, th- I think i'm pretty lucky i've still got my grandpa's stuff like he kept it all and when he passed away and we all gone through his stuff i said i'll take all of that so at my auntie's house back home i've got just boxes of old tech but it's like back when it was multimedia built so it's like wooden panels around the 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 um, like switchboards and things like that. And it's like, cause it's gotten wet over time. The wood's like crap. Um, but I think like when I eventually get a house, I'll, I'll, I'll do it up and, and hopefully fix that stuff up. And I think it'd look really cool. Um, but yeah, nice. Yeah. The old stuff's cool. It's got that little bit of charm about it. I think with the timber veneer and stuff like that. And I think like it's, it's simple. So like, yeah. I had I've gone from like a, a newish setup to like a setup from the eighties and it just is easier to make it sound better. So the once you work, move into like multi receivers that do like D V D and five point one, yeah. it makes it really hard for to make stereo sound really good. Yeah. And I battled with it for years and years and then I got this, I plugged it in, played with like some levels and it sounds schmick and I don't have to touch it really. Yeah. Really bulletproof. Now, I guess we, we're talking about like this this old format. So like why not play it with the old gear that it was initially intended to be played with, you know? Mm. I'll sound all high and mighty saying that and I've got like a new setup, but you know, like I think if I was going to ha- like get a, another table, if I say had a like a – no, music room and I wanted another table in like a common area in the house, I would definitely go like an older table and just try, like try to restore it type thing for sure. I think that's it though. Like a lot of this old tech needs a bit of work. 
Um, and Dave, I think you got super lucky with yours because it feels yeah. like you, you picked yours up on what marketplace and it just kind of was there ready to go, right? Yep. Gum tree. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, crazy. It was like Where- in the cabinet and he basically just wheeled it out, put it in the back of my mum's car. It was like five minutes from her work. Just put it in there and I just wheeled yeah. it into, into the garage at home. It was, it was, yeah, I got super lucky. Whereas my pop stuff, like you couldn't use any of it. I think I've I, the amp that I'm using now in my current setup is his amp, um, and that's like I had to give that a really good clean before it was working again. But tech wise, it was fine. All the other stuff he had though needs a bit of work. So when you sometimes new stuff's good, and I mean your your table especially is very crisp. Love to have a table like that one day. <laughs> Vine, you mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, I'm um, I'm stoked with that, and it's almost um, given me a new appreciation for just like the black vinyl, just because it, it it looks so clean. It just looks yeah, it just looks great on it, and I mean it all sounds great nowadays. Look at the quality of the pellets that the plants are using nowadays. It's yeah, unless it's like glow in the dark or metallic, the, the colours don't really change it that much. I don't think you know what I mean, but yeah, something about black yeah. is pretty special. I think. Sweet. I'm trying to well, care less more about it anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even I've got a couple of glowing darks, and I think they sound fine. I don't, I don't hear much of a difference, but I'm going fairly deaf too. Yeah, I've got one, and it might maybe have be like a little bit noisy, like in between tracks. But I mean, while the music's playing, I think it sounds fine. Especially because yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I I don't the, tend uh... to blast mine enough to probably pick up all of that <laughs> stuff anyway. Yeah. I don't think my speakers are good enough to uh, pick up any of that. Like I get a little bit of surface noise when I'm dropping the needle maybe or, or something like that. But once the music's playing, no idea. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, this is this is a good segue. So we're talking about records. Um, obviously, your music, and we'll talk a bit more about your playlist later. Mm-hmm. And I guess that talks a bit of a journey with your music. But um, your dad got you into, like, music in general, Zeppelin, things like that. Do you remember when you ended up working up and bought your first record, whether it be a CD, a tape, a vinyl? Like, do you remember what that was? I do. So um, the first CD that I got was um, Christmas. I can't remember what year it was. I got a little Sony CD player. It's just like CD player, radio, cassette, and the Presidents of the United States of America self-titled album. So that was my first Oh. CD I ever had, and I still love that album. Um, That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the first one I bought with my own money was uh, Freak Show by Silverchair. I remember getting it at the local Target, and at the time, it's when they had like the, you know, remember when you used to get like the lollies and it was almost in like the takeaway drink container? Oh, the that's a, that is a core cool memory. That is a yeah. Oh, well, that was like there. So like you'd like fill up this thing of lollies, grab the CD, and yeah, that was that was the first CD I bought with my own money. Silverchair Freak Show. Jeez, oh, I haven't awesome. thought about those. Fill up your own lollies in pick and mix. That's what they were called. When's yeah, pretty, yeah, it was like that, but it was like the soft lollies. Like you get like the the, yeah. the milk bottles and the raspberries yeah. and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I think about this a lot more than you think, Dave. I always bring up uh, to – because you know what I used to love about those? Remember the peaches you'd get? And they're like kind of a little bit sour. They had the two colors, pink and yellow, kind of like – you remember those? Not really. 
Ah, oh, fuck. Well, if anyone's listening and you know what I'm talking about, please hit me up because I bring it up all the time with people. They were like the lollies of choice for me. And I, I cannot find a good copy of them to save my life anywhere. And I'm talking country lolly shops. You know, they have those like bougie looking boutique lolly shops. Don't have them. Big lolly shops don't have them. Like I can't find them. Uh, anyways, <laughs> get <getting laughs> off track. <laughs> um, well, then I guess what was the last record you bought? Last record I bought? Um, well, I bought... Battle for the Sun by Placebo today. Yeah. Um, did we already speak about that? Last we kind of did, but I should, last... have, I should have thought of that. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think what the last one was that I bought before that. I can't really think. I haven't really been buying much didn't lately. You get, didn't you get a Grail in uh, this week? Ah, yes. Um, oh, I haven't heard this. My Amazon copy of Second Stage Turbine Blade by Coheed and Cambria came today. Oh, actually, I did about this. Dave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So very stoked on that. Uh, that was one that I I've sort of always cl- uh, held on to the hope that everything will sort of eventually get 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 repressed. So um, I didn't care what color it was. I was very happy when um, when that become available. So, yeah, love that album. That saying has come full circle, has become very true this year, I, I think. So, like, literally almost everything that was out of print is almost gettable now. Yeah. Yeah. Nearly. Nearly. Yeah. Um, it's true, though. I, I've even gotten to a point where I've said, fuck it, I'm, I'm selling some stuff because it's going to get repressed. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the most of it while I can. Um, and, yeah, I think everything is getting repressed, which is great. Um, I wish the prices wouldn't keep growing as much as the rate of what things are getting pressed, but, um, no, it's a good time to be into, uh, collecting vinyl in our scene. I think so much is happening. So, yeah, I think cause it's so much more popular now as well. A lot of those, those like nostalgic albums that are coming up to yeah. those big number anniversaries now, they're, they're sort of, I guess they're, woken up to the fact that they can sort of, for lack of a better term, like cash in on some of these represses. Like I guess Sing the Sorrow is probably the most recent example of that. Even like Sticks and Stones, Iowa, like there's been a lot of big ones over the last 12, 18 months that were at one point like for a lot of people, I guess like unattainable. I saw Sing the Sorrow today at JB Hi-Fi, which already in that sentence alone, if you'd said that a year ago, people would be calling you a liar. <laughs> Yeah, it was 125 bucks, but I was yeah, like, that's fuck. crazy. Yeah. 125, it's that resist for 72 still. Um, it was 125 bucks, I couldn't believe it. Um, yeah, I really couldn't believe it. But then they also had like, I mean, more pop records, but Katy Perry's first two albums have been hard to find for a long time. They've even had them, so I think it's just things are coming around, yeah, for sure. It sucks seeing all, all of them come up in these Aussie stores because I like. I panic bought as soon as I saw like that, you know, like that, that splatter Cornetto one and it sort of popped up and yeah. then it disappeared for a few days. Yeah. Or, or I managed to jump on it when it initially popped up and it's sitting at um, Alex's Con Gateway in America and I've seen it pop up at all these Aussie stores. And I'm just like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, sometimes yeah. you just got to pull the trigger and just in case. 
I think if it's a record that that's special and to you, I've, yeah. If you spend an extra 20, 30 bucks, fuck whatever. Like I think if it's if it's that kind of record, you just do it. I got it. I got it at a decent price anyway. I, I got two because I got one for me, one for Alex, and um, shipped over here. I mean, sorry, shipped to Com Gateway. It was it was still like pretty reasonable. Like I'm, I still think it's going to work out retail like, by the time I get it over here. So yeah, yeah. I think the the discrepancy one in Sigma Sorrow is probably the most accurate price you'll get it for. Like I know Resist have it for seventy two, that's the cheapest you'll probably get it. Where discrepancy is like a hundred shipped, yep. probably that's what's going to cost you for one from mm-hmm. the US from the US store. It's too much for a record. Oh, I don't care. It's too much. We kind of spoke about this a little bit today, didn't we, Dave? Like that, yep. that you know, like that Paramore. Double LP is like 110 or something on Warner's site. Like I, I really wanted to buy that too, and I said no, not today. Yeah, like yeah. it's. I mean, it's a cool hobby and everything, but I mean, especially with the cost of living at the moment, you know, it's definitely like a luxury item. And yeah, yeah. Well, we actually spoke about this with Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy Bowen. Like, oh, we did too. Like six months ago, he's like, "This is this is what happened before vinyl died." again or before yeah um they start yeah yeah big labels are just sucking it dry and people stop buying it and they'll be bargain bottom prices before we know it maybe that's what i'm banking on baby let's go (laughs) we see people like taylor swift to stop pressing like five hundred thousand records what why why has that got anything to do dave I, I don't want to hear your your war on Taylor Swift. All right. No, I'm. I, I, it's more of a war on major labels, really. Yeah. yeah. Keep things in print, but don't charge a hundred dollars for them when it costs a fraction of that to make it. Especially when you're like, when you're manufacturing like numbers of, of that size. It's, it's not like, it's not like Paramore just did 150 copies and that's that's what it is for making no, that many that. units like you know if you've got 10 15 20,000 or whatever they have like come on like how much was that Katy Perry record $95 was it 95 bucks i think for uh teenage dream was $95 and then self uh for self titled first one was 74 yeah so um, that's that's what you pay second hand for a for a record that is out of print. Yeah. Not a brand new record that's just been pressed for a hundred thousand copies easily. That's my beef. I think, and and look, I've been thinking a lot about this, right? And, and I think the pockets of record collectors are changing. I mean, we look, we look at Crosley and urban outfitters and they've been selling these suitcase record players for the last probably five years in mass numbers. Um, and I think you've, you've like the record collector has evolved from this kind of niche thing to it's obviously bigger and a lot more people are buying it. But I think when you think about pop records and what they're doing, and I think brands like Paramore, you know, they, they supported on like 12 to 15 Taylor Swift dates. They've kind of gone into this new territory where they're not just a, a band from the scene. Like they're a band that's really well known in not just, you know, alternative music communities. So I think when, when they release some records, you know, Taylor Swift sells a, a two to three LP for like 70 bucks. I think Speak Now 3LP, her new one recently was $74, I think. 
uh, before shipping. So I think when a Paramore or a Warner drops that for 110 bucks, I think they're cap. I think they're cashing in on the Taylor Swift fan, right? Yeah. Um, and then these pop records that are coming through, they're all doing the same thing. Um, and unfortunately, I don't know how that's translated to a Sing the Sorrow gone for 100 to 125. Hmm. Well, it's owned by that's... the same company. It's Sony. So it's just that label <laughs> cashing in. They know there's 10,000 copies of the first press. Yeah. Think about that. That's selling for 800 US dollars before the, the repress dropped. Like that's a testament to the, the album itself because seeing people that have them aren't selling them and they know what they've got. But yeah. they're just like, we see the resale. You see the, the Newbury restocks going at two to three times the price, the retail price of what they went for first up after they sold out. Yeah. It's just banking on people panic, like panic buying or not waiting for things to come down. It's people just getting Fine. desperate yeah. in a way. I mean, it's true. We've probably done it to ourselves, right? Like if, if one person doesn't buy a Sing the Sorrow for that much, it's never going to happen again. But people fucking yep. do make dumb decisions and I've made some dumb decisions when it comes to spe- overspending on records for sure. Like, but no, emotions, not that much. emotions are a, uh, a big thing. And these records mean a lot to a lot of people, not just sing the sorrow, like yep. Katy Perry, stuff like that. So they're like, I yep. really want this. So I'm just going to pay whatever it is. It's that FOMO, I think. Yep. Am I, uh, am I in alone here when I say that I think December underground deserves to be more expensive than sing the sorrow? No. I yes. I can't wait Sorry. for a repress yes. of December Underground. I love that album. So I think much. December Underground like is the Black Parade to Bullets. That's how much different apart I think it is. Like worse? No, I think it's way better. <laughs> Fuck you, Dave. <laughs> I, I feel like Sing the Sorrow is like obviously it's like the is it like the people's choice? You know, it's like it's the hero album in their discography. But I, in my opinion, I think December Underground would be like their magnum opus. Mm. <sighs> Sorry, Dave. I think you guys need to get your ears checked. <laughs> Honestly, oh, please. There's no Black Parade without Singing Sorrow. I yeah, disagree. Obviously, I'm, I'm not. I'm not discrediting Singing Sorrow at all. I am. I think it's overrated. You're Sorry. Overrated. Sorry. I had to say it. That's okay. It's like, it's fine. I just, I, yeah, December underground got old quick. I will just say the reason I bring it up now is over the last three years or two years that we've all been talking and seeing the sorrow conversations have come up. I don't think not once have I ever spoken shit about it because I always thought it was a bit ridiculous. <laughs> and so now I'm just getting it out now. <laughs> that's fine. You're allowed to not like something as much as something else. Like, it's fine. That's right. It's Saturday night. This is what happens when we do Saturday night pods, Dave. I get a bit. I get a bit fruity. <laughs> I'll probably just have more nostalgia, a more nostalgic connection to December Underground. Like I love Sing the Sorrow. Don't get me wrong; it's a great album. But December Underground, I, you know, I remember seeing them when they toured that album. Yeah, and that was like this. That was the same tour that they did that. I heard a voice DVD, so I sort of had you know been able to relive that experience through the DVD and stuff like that. So I feel like that's definitely um, like a, a, a factor in that for me. But, yeah. It also depends when you come into the band. It's like I just got 
the art of drowning and then seeing the sorrow came out. So like that was right. like, for, like formative for me in my high school years. So it's just like December underground came along and that, that was like the opener is the best track on that CD album. So it's just, yeah. No, we can agree to disagree on that one, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on. Uh, yep. Let's keep going. So yeah, I mean, great first record you picked up. Uh, yeah. And then, do you remember your first gig? I do. Um, I remember, I can't remember what year it was, maybe like 2002, maybe. Um, yeah. So I'm from Mount Gambia in South Australia. It's like halfway between Melbourne and Adelaide on the coast. And um, we had, uh, at one of our local footy ovals, we had Grinspoon and Body Jar played a gig on the back of a semi-trailer like that was a stage was like the trailer of the truck in the middle of the footy oval so um yeah that that was yeah right right when like chemical heart was the lead single but they were still smashing like yeah champion and all that old stuff and um body jar was huge at the time i feel like you know that that was when they had um you're not the same on Tony Hawk and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was that was the first sort of gig I remember going to full stop in terms of like big international act um, would probably be um, Green Day when they toured for American Idiot in 2005. I saw them in Adelaide. I was on that tour. Oh, at that tour in Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. Who, who supported your one? Because they came twice that year. Yeah, so I saw them the first time when they came with my cam. Yeah. Um, that was like the, almost the main reason I went. Green Day was kind of a bit of a bonus. Yeah. It wasn't until later in the year that I probably got into American Idiot when I got the CD for Christmas. Yeah. Um, and then I saw them the next time they came out and I was like, yeah, okay, I'm here for Green Day. Whereas the first time it was more the other way. Yeah, so I saw them when they came out with Simple Plan. Right. The second time that year. So Simple Plan was huge at the time too. Yeah, that off the back of that debut album that they had. So yeah, yeah, sick. Um, and I reckon that Body Jar and Grinspoon, they've probably played together. I reckon every few years because I think I've seen them play together like three or four times. Yeah, hundreds (laughs) of times they would have played together. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it was sick. Like, um, yeah, it's hard to describe. I was like early on in um, like high school and. So I was there like with mates and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah I don't have like, it's a very patchy memory, <laughs> but I, I remember it was like, it was sick and sort of like blew me away because bands didn't very often like make the trek. So yeah, it was cool. And also around that time, Channel V did like a road show thing for um, when Big Day Out was on and Drowning yeah. Pool played at one of the local cricket ovals as well and wow um yeah with, with their original singer i've got their i've got their drum stick signed from that show and the guy who i played in wow. the band with his drummer was doing some some sound work with them so like had some drinks with them too which was sick mm. even though like i was like way underage because that was 01 or 02 so that might have been my first gig i can't remember but like one or two tracks, two tracks from that show um, is on their DVD. So right. I'm pretty sure I, I've seen myself on one of the tracks on the DVD 
with my blue hair because that's what you did back in the day. <laughs> you had blue, blue hair. spiky hair. Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, that's sick. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> um, I need to ask, sorry, Dave, I don't, you probably, I don't know if you're going to ask something different, but what was it like, uh, I guess, you growing up in gigs in Mount Gambia? You know, did you get a lot of them and was there a local, was there much of a local scene there? I know you, you dabbled in some bands, but like, what was it like? There was a cool, there was a cool scene with um, local bands playing at like the Masonic Hall or um, at like the BMX Club. You'd get bands playing or we'd have like mates bands playing at parties and stuff, usually at like a 16th or something. Yeah, there cool. would be, it'd be like a house party with a band playing and lots of underage drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't really remember like details on like bigger bands like the likes of Yeah. Like Ocean Grove and Amity and Northlane and all them. I know they all played the Mount and everyone that I've talked to like recently because of my like, what I'm doing with Stiff Cut, they know Mount Gambia and they have memories of playing in Mount Gambia. I can't necessarily share like many of those memories because mm. we would always refer to it as like, oh, there's Adelaide band playing at blah, 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 or there's a Melbourne band. Like that was sort of the extent of it. We, we didn't, it wasn't like, oh, these guys called Northlane are playing. It was just this Adelaide yeah. band or a Melbourne band. And yeah. you'd go there and you'd get pissed and you'd listen to some cool music. And that was about, yeah. Or like the only city band, I guess you could say that I like recall is I remember Prom Queen playing at the old jail, and when I say old yeah. jail, it's like spelt with a G, so you could imagine yeah. like in the grounds of this like real old place, um, Prom Queen playing and getting a few songs in, and they didn't play anymore. I think that might have been a little bit too too much on the piss or what but I, I remember <laughs> i remember going to a prom queen gig and there wasn't much of a gig parkway drive played like at the local yeah, cool. rsl of all places yeah, yeah. i love and, that like tore that apart <laughs> it's sort of like it's safe to say that um the rsl won't have parkway drive back but that was cool <laughs> and one, one of the estates in town where you'd drive like through the roundabout in a part of the estate and they'd have like the stone sort of like flashlight limestone sandstone thing on the corner of the roundabout and it'd have like what that street was called and there yeah. was a parkway avenue and i remember you'd know every time parkway driver in town because there'd be someone with spray paint that would cross out avenue and it had drive <laughs> spray <laughs> painted above it yeah yeah so that, that's um sort of the peak of local sort of memories without diving into like band stuff that sort of dabbled in a little bit but yeah yeah, sweet. Yeah. So, um, do you have like a, a unique purchasing story from from your record collection? So, is there anything that kind of stands out to you as like like a a, a unique record or like a a cool get that you got like just by chance or something like that? Um, I don't think really because I only started sort of like 2019 so i'm like relatively like new with that um the main one that stands out to me is this year it's it always been like this sort of like running joke with alex that because i collect um mac miller and um 
his Spotify singles, Seven Inch. It was sort of like that was my white whale. Um, yeah. It, you know, it, it sort of consistently goes for five, six hundred bucks. And I've even seen it at times up around like fifteen hundred, two grand. And it's just like, yeah, by principle, that's just like way beyond me for a two track single. But, um, and so I always joke to Alex about how I'd like just love to find that one day in like an old bookstore or something and just like stumble mm. across it. Cause Warner did, Warner Music did it. So surely there's copies out there somewhere and that might just be that cool fine story I have one day and then um, I got a parcel from Alex one day it was a couple it was a bad love test presses and mm. um, so there was a um, like a different test press jacket in there with them as well and I thought that was strange and I got that out and it had a um, the Mac Miller Spotify singles in there that he'd um, gifted me and as a Crazy. surprise and yeah I was um I was, a bit, I was in a bit of a blubber and a dribbling mess for a minute or two there because I just couldn't believe, couldn't believe it. You know what I mean? So that's probably like my coolest. It's not a purchase, but that's probably my coolest get. I would say. Hmm, cool. I love that. Yeah, yeah, he's a bit of a babe, old Alex. Yeah. I think that's what one thing that I'm really loving with, uh, and I like, you know, we have spoken with a lot of people on this pod that we all met through. Palmo posting or collecting vinyl. Um, and I think quit. one thing over, yeah, <laughs> I think one thing that has kind of developed over the years is, you know, a lot of that happening and maybe not to that extent because that's a real big white whale that I've never even seen. I'd never even seen a photo of it, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, until you got it. Um, and I think just like, there's been a lot of that that's happened like through the group um, one way or another. Like I know, I think one of my favorite records that I own, Sean, like you gifted me, um, last year after a bit of a hard time. Um, and it's just like, it's just amazing that there are these grails out there um, that you yeah, these people that we've just met through music that we've just, we'd, we'd happily do something like that for. Uh, I think it's just real special. I think it's just a credit to how special music is. Yeah. And no, I don't think it, I don't think um, the importance of a grail is measured by its value or its resale either. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah i think that's a great thing about music is you know like we're we're all different and there's so much different music out there it it all speaks to us in in different ways as well it it doesn't it doesn't have to be worth a million dollars to to mean a million dollars you know what i mean yeah my ground um, currently is 22 us dollars i just haven't pulled the trigger on it <laughs> what's that <laughs> what is that walking chaos is me it's actually in stock at rev can you just buy it <laughs> i'm waiting because um the guy at abolition is repressing their uh, their last one that i want so i'm gonna right. try get both at the same time but that's that's exactly what you're saying there sean it's, it doesn't have to be the most expensive record it's just maybe one that you just haven't come across yet and it could be like yeah. 20 bucks it doesn't really matter yeah. yeah, like I'd love that President's album and I know you can get it and it's not super expensive and I just haven't gotten around to it. But like oh, that would be pretty high up on my list of things I would like. It's just, I guess, yeah, sometimes it just drops down the priority list. Yeah, absolutely. Can relate. 
Um, before we kick on into the playlist, obviously, uh, for the last month and a bit, we've been talking a bit about Stiff Cut on our episodes, and this episode obviously kind of ends a bit of that, caps off that run with Agnes last week and yourself uh, today. Um, I guess Stiff Cut's been on an absolute tear the last year. I didn't realize it had only been not even two years yet. It feels like it's been longer. Um, but talk to us what it's been like for you joining joining the team there with Alex and, and kind of what your involvement's been like over the the period of time. Yeah, it's been um it's been a roller coaster, man, but it's been it's been fun the whole time. I guess it started off pretty early like around when Beware the Snake was happening. I was yep. um like commuting quite a bit for work and so I would I found myself talking to Alex quite a bit just about music stuff in general just to sort of pass the time while I was driving you know I find like talking stops me sort of from getting drowsy I guess and we'd talk about just like music stuff in general and then it got to talking about when he was doing the hydro dips and stuff like that we'd sort of think of just all this like crazy like it was like a think tank for an hour every night you know what I mean and Mm. it's sort of Alex spoke for a while about sort of wanting to sort of credit what I was doing a little bit and I was sort of happy just I didn't like want to take any limelight, you know what I mean? I just enjoyed Hmm. playing a part in it and sort of just sort of being creative sort of behind the scenes. I sort of enjoyed that aspect. And um, and then it sort of, yeah, we started like we were talking about press records and stuff like that and even like long before it all happened and Alex is I won't go into it too much because Alex spoke about that on his but Hmm. yeah like when I officially I guess I officially come on board um when it was announced I guess Alex just felt like it was it was a good time to sort of just officially sort of say that I was sort of like playing a part in the company I guess you know what I mean just sort of Hmm just to credit what I was doing, which, which is cool. It's been awesome. And I think also a, a part of that was, you know, like when when I was reaching out to artists, because that's like a lot of my sort of part in it is like reaching out and like associating with the, the artists that we work with and stuff like that. And it, mm. it obviously sounds better saying, you know, I work with or at Stiff Cut Records, not like, oh, hey, like, my mate's doing this. Like, are you interested? Yeah. You know, that, that sounds like a little bit more casual. And so I was saying, like, you know, I, I was um, ap- approaching these artists saying that I was part of Stiff Cut and then it was sort of like, well, we may as well make it official that, that you are because you're saying it anyway, you know <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. sorry, I was sort of, I'm not sure if I've gone on a bit of a tangent there or not, but, yeah, it's been awesome. That's um, what Alex, podcasts are for. Go uh, on Alex, as much Alex of a tangent is, as you want. Alex has been great, like, to work with, and it's been cool, like, associating with all these artists that I've sort of looked up to. And a, a big thing for me growing up is I always wanted to, the only thing I wanted to do growing up was be like a famous musician, and um, obviously that didn't happen. But this is sort of ended up being my way of still having that sort of part in the music scene and the industry, without actually sort of being the one up on stage playing a guitar or whatever. So yeah, it's been cool. I, I like. I feel like I'm helping people as well 
it's doing something that I like enjoy doing, if that makes sense. Yep, it completely does. Because I think Phil, Phil and I are in the same boat as you. Like, we would love to have been the people up on stage, but talent is a, is a big part of that. So we're doing our bit for the scene as well, um, obviously in a different way, but it's really cool to see, like, just regular people like us kind of doing these cool things. Yeah, it is cool. And I found listening to your mixtapes definitely inspires me and gets me thinking about, like my childhood and like different like and even just things that I relate to through other people's music and like I remember with like with Chuck's mixtape and when he mentioned Eighteen Visions I was like damn like that's a throwback and you, you, like because there's so much content out there so and much it just like it, I'll hear a band or a song and I'll just be like damn like same as like May with no doubt like I loved that Tragic Kingdom album like that didn't come far after freak show in terms of like early stuff that i bought um that's an amazing album and that's high up on my grail list as well as that newbury comic starburst that's definitely um that's a beautiful yeah yeah nearly every time i speak to alex i like hit him up about selling me his copy (laughs) oh does he have one of course he does yeah yeah (laughs) it's his partners apparently so yeah (laughs) Um, no, that's awesome. And I think, look, I mean, I know we've spoken, we spoke with Alex about this and being super appreciative for that stuff. But I mean, we know we've, you and I, we've spoken at length around Agnes Manners and, and that record well before it got pressed. And I know you had a big part to play in that. Yeah. Um, and also like you introduced us to me to, to Matt as well, but, um, just some of the stuff you've, you've, you've brought to the label. Um, I know just coming from me, but a lot of people like we're super appreciative. So just keep doing what you're doing because, um, yeah, some amazing stuff you've gotten. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate that a lot. Like, it's not just about, like, obviously, like, we, we want to press things that we like or we think's good, but we also want the, the other people and the, the, the consumer who's buying the albums to to enjoy it and be, like, a part of it as well. And that's one big thing that we've, we sort of pride ourselves in is like, but it's the artist's work. Like we're sort of just, just helping with that process. So like we, we really try and like respect what they've made as much as possible and have them as part of that process as much as possible. Cause I, like we understand like it's, it can be tough being an independent artist and also know that it can be tough under a, a large label as well so like the last thing that we want to be doing is like dictating to the artists like how their work is put out there so yeah yeah, yeah you will yeah. almost act like an extension of the band you know that's how i feel it is it's like you're part of their team when you're doing those releases so i don't it, it seems very natural yeah, it's definitely yeah. a collaboration for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think to, to that point, like Matt last week brought up, you know, the packaging, not even the vinyl itself, but, you know, the, the foil on, on, on the cover, um, yeah. you know, the explicit language stickers and things like that, like just little things that you might not get uh, uh, everywhere, right? And I know he spoke really highly of you guys. And then Dave, you brought up the, the, um, the D's Nuts record with the gold foil on the cover. Um, 
I know my OG copy of that doesn't have that. <laughs> it's just little things like that, and I think come through. And I think, especially in, in a market where we talked about vinyl, like it's everywhere now, uh, how you kind of stand apart is that care. And I think it comes through. Um, so yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate that. Um, sorry, Dave. I know I'm hijacking this a bit because it's not in our notes, but. I know I'm going to put you on the spot here, Sean, with this, and and please don't feel like you need to answer it. Yeah. <laughs> but do you, do you have a favorite? Like a favorite artist or a favorite artist? A favorite artist you've or... pressed, yeah, worked or, with. Yeah, what's your favorite stiff cut release that you, you've worked on? <sighs> um, and I'll set you up for failure, so don't feel like you need to. <laughs> it's like picking kids, I know. <laughs> um, I've. I'm probably going to go with the obvious one and and say Fantasia Famish. Yeah. Um, I think I have a, a very personal um, emotional connection with that, especially like with the um, with the paper crane stuff with the fills and stuff yeah. like that. that. That's like pretty special to me. And I, I mean, it's sort of hard to deny Matt's writing ability like songwriting abilities the, the lyricism yep. and and the delivery it's um it's pretty special not many people can sort of do that like how he does so um that that's definitely up there for sure like that that definitely wasn't the one that I'm proud of just cuz I wanted it anyway <laughs> but <laughs> yeah I, I would say that and bad love i felt like i really emotionally invested myself in cuz i just wanted it to I, I, like a lot of things I'll, I'll I'll find the artist and I'll, I'll come up with some variant ideas and stuff like that and I, f- I find with with Agnes and with Bad Love in particular I was really like I feel like it has to be like this like I'd almost have like a, a vision and I'd see it in my head and I would be trying to articulate to to Monty or or Matt or Alex like this is what what I think obviously it's it's up to it's a group decision it's up to the artists as well but um yeah they've been amazing to work with as well all the artists have been but um but um JJ with the with the D's nuts and solo stuff and Matt and Monty they've definitely um just been so great to work with it's and that makes it just so much easier you know what I mean it's been a real pleasure um, working with them in particular awesome. Well, cool. we love what you're doing. We've obviously been plugging you guys for the last period. So um, if you're listening, go and check out Stiff Cut Records. We'll drop the links in the description through our link tree, things like that, because uh, there's amazing records there. Um, so, yeah, you've capped off the year with some good stuff. So, yeah, yeah pass thanks, it back guys. on to you, thanks for Thanks for the love these past, like, eight or ten weeks or so. We, we really appreciate it. It's Every little bit helps. I think we we have to help out each other with, with – you know, we're all just these little fish in this big pond, and mm. I think the the love in the scene is um, it, it means a lot, and it goes a long way. I think so. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Yeah. We enjoy connecting with you guys on on that level as well. So it's um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, kind of mm. seeing you guys grow and and change and and go through these big eight eight like fourteen months, it's because it's just been a whirlwind. Yeah, it's been pretty hectic. Yeah, we we were, we were chasing a lot of a lot of people and wanted to sort of not not 
we we wanted to put like a few things out and get the get the ball rolling and and all of a sudden like we'd hear back from a couple and we'd hear back from like a handful of them we hadn't heard back from a while and they all wanted to do it now or like on this date and that day and it definitely like snowballed a lot more than we anticipated and we've definitely pulled the handbrake because we realised you know like it, it it's a lot and there, there has been a lot out there so like we're definitely like aware of that but yeah we're yeah it's been very humbling that's for sure and we've probably been in a similar boat where we've we've at times like we've got stuff booked that we just couldn't fit in this year now and at the time we were probably really open and all of a sudden things just happen yeah um and that's we're just here talking behind a microphone let alone actually manufacturing goods (laughs) i mean we say we understand but do we really dave (laughs) so we'll move on to the playlist so do you want to explain to listeners your playlist theme yeah so initially i thought it would be great to sort of have it like the story of my life a little bit i guess you could say like and try and like i wanted to structure it I wanted like a, a clever structure to the playlist, which I think I achieved in the end. But initially, I sort of wanted it to sort of be chronological, and I wanted to finish the playlist with a closer and stuff like that. And um, but I, I quickly realised, you know, like I'm 35 years old, and even if I say it started from when I first bought something, when I might have been like 10 or something, that, that's still like 25 years. Even if I picked one song for every year since then, that's still 25 songs. I've got to fit it into like 10 or so. So yeah. that, that sort of went out the window. But I've definitely tried to put songs in there sort of in a chronological order from like some big influences on me in my life and or like, and have it so that there's a nice ebb and flow to it, and hopefully it, it's not too disjointed. I think it. I think it turned out all right anyway. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think it flows pretty well. Just thought of just thought just quickly. You take this like sidebar, Dave. Um, I like the idea of doing like a track a year from when you were born. Like that could be a good little series. Just just <laughs> put it out there. Well, I think that's something that we should we should explore because I think the more I think about it, yeah, that could be awesome. That could be a playlist we could do, like as in right. like. We'll have to have you back, Sean, and we can we can talk about that because that, that that would be something I'd love to explore. I think I've spoken to already, Phil, saying like, "Man, I could do an episode on hip hop. I could do an <laughs> episode yep. on high school. Like, you know, but you know, how, how many times do you want me on? You know, like uh, I think everyone would get sick of sick of me before too I don't long. want to. <laughs> I don't want to bring up Taylor Swift, but we could do the eras mixtapes. <laughs> Oh, you said it, Dave, so we're doing it. Thank you very much. We'll do it. You said that. (laughs) But I just want to say, like, you've done a great job, Sean, at kind of having that. I can see how it flows now through life. I tried to do that, and I remember talking to Dave, and he was like, Philip, this playlist makes no sense. (laughs) You've got just take that shit out. (laughs) uh, But you've, like, there's no songs in this this kind of um, bracket that you've put together that I'm thinking doesn't fit. Yeah, yeah. There, there's two that we'll get to that essentially could have been, could have switched places. Yeah. In 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 terms of if I was going to have that proper flow, like chronologically, in explaining why I've put them in, they're back to front, 
but I put them in that way because I felt like in as a playlist that other one deserved to be like behind it, not in front of it. Because how, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to it. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking too much. <laughs> well, um, we'll talk about the first song now. So the first song on the playlist is "Slave" by Silverchair. Tell us about that song. So obviously, "Slave" is from Freak Show, which was the first CD that I bought. So I wanted that in there for that reason. Um, also picked Slave because I don't know if you picked up on it, Phil. Slave is the opener of yep. the album. So I thought I will open the playlist with an opener. And oh, I like um, that actually, yeah, this is good. And I just that intro because I was like, I was very drawn to the guitar. I, I played guitar and, and, and drums growing up. And um, I love that that intro riff, it's just so sick. And I remember I, I loved it when I was. Like, I think it came out in 97, so I was nine. I loved it as, say, a 10-year-old kid when it came out. And yep. even then listening back to it when I was doing the playlist, when um, there's, like, there's like a build-up in the song. I, I can't think of what it might be called, like, like the bridge or whatever. And then Daniel Johns says, go, and everything, like, hits. And I feel like as much as I loved that when I was a kid, if I could like travel back as an adult going to gigs and seeing Silverchair playing that, I can just like picture in my head that part being when like they open the pit up and then mm. when that part hits, everyone comes in and it's pandemonium and I, I feel like just to me that song just like rips just as hard as an adult as what it did like 10-year-old me. So, yeah, Silverchair was huge. For me, when I was younger, I remember I had the posters up. I wanted to get my hair cut, like 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 one of them had like this this spiky hair and stuff like that. And this poster that I had, and I wanted my hair cut like that with like a, he had like blue or red like streaks, and I wanted the guitar that Daniel Johns had, and you know, yeah. like I remember watching Freak, and Dad didn't like that so much because he was thinking about like being a freak and stuff like that. But I, I had a real hard time early on at primary school. I remember a lot of the kids at this primary school I went to were into like sort of like pop, sort of mainstream music and I felt and I got bullied a lot and I, I felt like maybe – Looking back, I related to that because, like, maybe I saw like myself as being like the freak. You know what I mean? And yeah, like none of my friends. Oh, I changed schools towards the end of my primary school, but yeah, like I, I remember vividly. Like I was the only person that liked that kind of music, and I was definitely like the freak or the odd one out. Like at that school, and I, I found that that sort of just like drew me closer to that that style of music, and yeah. I like that you started with this song as well. I mean, and especially I love hearing stories about how records meant to to us when we were younger um, and knowing this was the first record you bought, you know, obviously relating to it at that level when you were younger. And I think it just has such this weight on it, right? And I think you've just articulated that so well. Um, and I'm so glad this is what you opened with. Yeah, thanks, man. I sort of, a lot of people bang on about, I'll probably get lynched for this, but I feel like, a lot of people like bang on about Nirvana and I, I feel like Silverchair was, was 
Australia's Nirvana, and I'd probably rate Silverchair like above Nirvana. In all honesty, it's a big call. Yeah, look, I, yeah, I, my uncle is Daniel Jones kept his guitar in tune. Kurt Cobain never kept his in tune, so you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, Dan, oh, I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> this is something that my uncle like. If you if you ever come to my house at like a Christmas and my uncle's talking and music comes on, every year this will come up that he would be like Silverchair or Australia's version of Nirvana, yeah. but they lasted a bit longer and they actually wrote some probably better music, <laughs> you know? And I think, I mean, I definitely listen to Silverchair more. Um, do I think they're better? It's hard to say. Well, it's a but, flip of a coin, really. They, yeah. They uh, sound yeah. very similar. But yeah, for especially them to break like out that. from Australia is a bigger deal. Yeah. Did yeah. you um, see, did you listen to that? Uh, Daniel John's podcast. Yeah. It's just mind-blowing, bl- mind like, when, when you're hearing, like, Tom DeLong talking about how he, like, w- went, was, like, at Daniel John's house and, like, that even Blink saw Silverchair as huge. You know, yeah. like, it's, yeah, that, that, was, that was a crazy series. And I, I guess being the age that I was at the time, I didn't realise... You know what I mean? I, I just thought like they were cool, and yeah, like Neon, Ball, Neon Ballroom is probably my favourite album of theirs, and Dioramas. Yeah, as different Diorama's as it is, right. it's just it, that really sort of showcases that that sort of special sort of type of musician that Daniel Johns is. But um, Frog Stomp and and Freak Show definitely for me like opened a lot of doors. That was definitely a big gateway for me. Yeah. Well, especially them being like sixteen, being able to young, play music young boys, to man. the world. Crazy. That's like, yeah. it's like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. You can do it. Anyone can do it, basically. Yeah, for um, sure. If you've, if, yeah, like it, it just gave so many people that inspiration. But like, yeah, I feel for him after listening to that that podcast because. The stuff he went through as like a sixteen-year-old kid, he had like some lady from like China pretend to be his mum in America, what? like yeah. stole his mum's passport and like got into backstage of a show and tried to take him home. Yeah, followed yeah. followed him around Europe, like yeah, it was like wild. <coughs> people like, yeah. telling yeah, people telling him that he hooked up with them in this state, in this city, and that he knocked them up and saying they're their baby was his and like all this kind of stuff dealing with that at like i can't even think about dealing with that at my age now let alone 16 yeah and then you come then you come back home and you just get like tall poppy syndrome from everybody in your hometown on top of that it's it's wild and Mm. you know like sort of made me think or realize like oh no wonder you sort of have your your stand view or your whatever you call it, like towards the band now, like whereas back when I was younger, it was sort of like, like how dare you walk away from mm. from Silverchair? Like you're not supposed to do that. Like how could you? And then yeah, yeah all these years later, it's just like wow. Well, should we play it? Yeah, let's go. Enjoy. First track.
You disregarded your life You disrespected your friends You've even stolen your appearance From hanging around with my family But I should've never dropped my gun So you can stab me in the back But you were faking me out Just faking me out, you were a mask Freaking me out, you were a mask Called counterfeit, you freaking me out You were a mask called counterfeit Freaking me out, you were a mask called counterfeit You freaking me out, you were a mask called counterfeit I'm alive.
All right. So at the top there, we had Slave by Silverchair, followed by Counterfeit by Limp Biscuit, and I Am Loco by Il Nino. Uh, strong first bracket. Talk to us about Limp Biscuit. Oh, man. Um, if Silverchair wasn't the gateway band for me, Limp Biscuit definitely was. Um, you know, growing up late 90s, like Limp Bizkit and Corn, it was just like world domination. You know what yeah. I mean? They were, without a doubt, like the the biggest bands yeah. on the planet at the time. And we had these good family friends that lived just down the street from us. And um, their their eldest, he was like five years older than me and his brother. And so he, I was exposed to an awful lot of music early on thanks to him you know like i remember hearing slipknot's self-titled album when that when that first come out and um like fear factory all this stuff that to me as like an 11 year old was just like blew my mind about all this like real heavy stuff and i remember he had this old gemini with these big subwoofers in the back and be like cranking out corn and stuff like that from it when i'm just like going around to see his little brother to play like super nintendo whatever and just being exposed (laughs) to like all this music and then like mark his name was he had a seven string guitar because of limp biscuit and corn and like that's just what we'd do we'd like hang out jump on the trampoline and like listen to limp biscuit and corn and all all that stuff from that era and i I chose counterfeit because i vividly remember um watching like religiously nearly every day after school for a long time. We went to different primary schools. I'd get home from school, I'd drop my bag in the door, I'd grab my push bike, I'd ride down there and we would put the Family Values 98 VHS on <laughs> and and that was sort of, I guess it was around when Significant Other came out, but I remember them playing like it's Counterfeit Opens that that um recording and it was just like so cool like Wes Borland with all that makeup on and that and the the bass player with the red contacts and his eyes and it was just like so sick and there was a track on there called like Cambodia which was the same music and everything as show me what you got ended up being on on significant other and stuff like that and that was just Mm. huge and when because in South Australia, grade seven is the last year of primary school. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I did like prep or reception would call it to grade six at, at this one school where I had like copped a pretty hard time and I changed schools to this public school um, in grade seven. And the, this, like my first friend that I made on my first day there, he was like, because like, like I said before about like Silverchair, I was the odd one out at, at this other school. And remember the, this kid, we ended up being like really good friends. And he was like, oh, do you know Limp Biscuit?" And he had the significant other CD. And I was just like, yes, like this is, yeah, I, I remember that so well because it was just like finally like there was that, that, that other, there was other people that I, I could relate with and, at, like at school, like obviously there's these friends from down the road, but yeah, um, the, the family that family values video just got hammered so much, and then 
when DVDs and that come out, I remember getting my sister to buy that DVD for me because I was too young to buy it because it's it's R. So mm. Sanity wouldn't sell me that sort of stuff. So I'd get my sister to get that for me. And um, I've still got it. And um, yeah, I, was awesome. at, I actually put it on the other night. I was in the garage doing um, doing a bit of a workout and I was thinking, like, I was like struggling with um, some motivation. And so I got YouTube up and I, and I put the, the Limp Biscuit and Ice Cube set on from Family Valleys and it got me through. So, um, yeah, that's that definitely, that's where counterfeit come from. Like, I just couldn't believe just how big and influential they were to everyone. And I was just like starstruck, this this little kid, seeing these dudes doing this sort of rap, new metal sort of fusion thing and all the, the tattoos and the baggy pants and everyone just going like mental over them. It was like, it was like huge. I don't really even think like today that there's that sort of thing, to be honest, you know what I mean? Or maybe I'm just out of touch. I still listen to that album, so... <laughs> I mean, I think Limp Bizkit has a massive following. And I think what one thing listening to, I mean, we talk about it all the time, Jeremy's podcast and all the creatives, because he interviews just anyone who's creative, not just musicians. And just, I guess, Corn and Limp Bizkit, as you mentioned, the culture of them at that time, it's just, can't, you can, it can't be understated. And that, oh, look, I was a little bit younger, but yeah. I, I mean, my memories with Limp Bizkit was my dad loved them and, and my dad listened to a lot of music. Um, I think as I got older, it just, it, it was around. I probably yeah. wasn't in the hysteria that, that way. Um, but even like now, they're playing at good things in a few weeks and people who are younger than me are more excited for them than for that boy. Um, and I think that kind of, that kind of, uh, fuck, what's the word? Longevity. Longevity is crazy. Nuts. Yeah, it's unreal. I almost wonder sometimes if like they have that hype now and people like picture them, it's almost like a meme type thing, whereas it was, different in the like late 90s early noughties like the hype was real like it, it wasn't yeah because like there's this fred durst character that used to wear a baseball cap backwards and now he like dresses up like a grandpa like it was like they were like legit they were the shit yeah and even when um chocolate starfish came out i remember my sister had this old corolla with a tape deck in it and we had we'd have like the discman with Oh, with the tape connection. fish in it, and yeah, and in the headphone jack, you'd plug in the cassette thingy, and yep. we'd like, we'd like yep. chuck laps in my sister's clapped out Corolla with chocolate starfish, <laughs> like cranking type thing. That's another like early Limp cool memory. So like, yeah, and obviously because I had to condense the, the playlist down, I tried to sort of pick bands, like not only that fit into my life in some sort of order, um, I sort of, I guess I had to pick sort of representatives almost, I guess. So like um, Limp Biscuit and I guess Il Nino fit into that category as well. It definitely um, scratched that new metal itch, I guess you could say, because, you know, if it was up to me, like, I mean, at one stage I had System of a Down and Spine Shank, all, all those other ones on my short list. And that, you know, I guess for a, a large period, Back then, like new metal was just huge, you know. So, but yeah, Limp Biscuit are the ones um, waving the that flag for me tonight. It was a hundred percent unavoidable because I started off as like a 
like in pop and then into punk and then all of a sudden I'm li- listening to Limp Bizkit. I didn't really get into Corn all that much. Like I like some of the songs, but I don't know. It was like the, yeah, just something about it was just catchy and different and yeah, sucked me right in. Yeah, I guess they sort of really pioneered that that style, I guess, and it, it, it was relatable, but it was still different enough to sort of be like its own thing. And, yeah, they, they definitely built an empire, especially back then. Hmm. Well, I guess then moving on to Il Nino, your, your last song in this first trio of tracks that you want to talk about. Um, where does this song sit for you? That sort of fast-forwards me to high school. Early high school, I remember, I had this good friend um, that came from an extraordinarily musical family. Um, like, man, I could tell stories about his brother and sisters, like abilities with like instruments and that sort of thing. And like, it, it's like sort of hard to believe unless you've sort of seen it. But like, so I had this friend anyway who like was very influential with music and because he had older brothers and sisters, same thing. He knew about all this stuff long before any anyone else did. And so I, I found a lot of bands through him, and Il Nino was one of them. I remember first listening to them, like, in year eight, which was our first year of high school, music on the computer, and it just blew my mind because at the time I was learning, I was getting classical guitar lessons at the time, and because they've got that Latino sort of fusion in with their, I guess, new metal, we could say sort of like Latin new metal, I guess. Um, you know, there's some songs that had that sort of flamenco guitar stuff and then they had elements with the, like, um, like the scratching with the turntables and stuff. And mm. so it had these little things that made it unique, but then it still had enough of that new metal element to make it, like familiar it, it wasn't that outrageous that like you know like i find it hard say for example to get into like i find some shikari stuff like a little bit too out there for me to get into yeah. but i found il nino was like it would it was different and unique but it was still like very familiar and very very like palatable for me and I've got like yeah, lots of fond memories of high school, like listening to Il Nino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I can certainly feel that. Um, yeah, it's like I don't want to say that Enzish Car is not. It's like tastefully done with like yeah. the electronic elements. So, and it's a, a little bit melodic as well with the like the. Uh, Latino kind of guitars and stuff, but I can certainly see how Enter Shikari can be too much to kind of take in because it is like a, a lot of, can be fairly abrasive at times. Yeah. I love this Shikari conversation because I kind of dropped off Shikari after a flash flood of color yep. because I felt like their sound, it almost like you could flip their discography around and it would make more sense <laughs> because I felt like they tried to find more of a balance with like you talked about the, the difference in not just being a traditional like alternative band. I felt like Flash Flight of Color, for example, had so many more abrasive elements that I felt like smoothed out in like a broader sense in their post records. Um, so I really didn't get into new way, new, new era Shikari probably until like four years ago. Um, because after Flash Flight of Color, I really struggled. 
but I find that really interesting because I think what drew me to Shikari was that it was so different. Yeah. Um, almost like kind of, I think what, um, electric cowboy are now, um, we're going down a rabbit hole here, but, uh, <laughs> I, just, I just love the comparisons. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. yeah sure. I'll also feel like that, that first Il Nino album that I picked the, that track off, um, Easily their best, in my opinion. I, I find it's a, it's a no-skip album. And I actually surprised myself when I was trying to pick a track. I, I couldn't choose for a long time. It was one of the ones I really struggled with the most where I, I didn't think it would be because I almost found myself, I, I could have just picked a whole different band. It probably would have been easier than trying to like pinpoint a track. So, um, yeah. I, I find it. I find the emotion that they get out with with, his, with the cleans in there. Um, <clears throat> I think I found myself like singing along to the songs from that album, but like miming them so mum and dad and that can't hear if that makes sense. But really <laughs> putting everything into it, I, I think I, I found a lot of solace in that album. And, and the stuff that, that was in circulation at that time def, definitely was big in me sort of coping with a lot of things that were going on at the time, yeah. if that makes sense. It's definitely therapeutic for me anyway. Love it. Yeah, I can well, that. well, moving into... The next bracket. And the first track there you've got is AFI is Total Immortal. Um, I mean, I love this next bracket in particular. I think it's probably where I started playing into a lot more of these tracks. <laughs> um, talk to us about AFI. Oh, man. I think Tony Hawk's Pro Skater was at one or two. I think um, this was on. And, and that, was, that was my introduction to AFI. And I was very familiar with that track and... I listened to the EP because of that. And then I feel like for whatever reason, I didn't hear AFI again until Sing the Sorrow. Mm -hmm. And I was with some mates and I was, I was like, oh, AFI, I haven't heard like these guys for a while completely missing Black Sails and the Sunset and the Art of Drowning and like later going back to them. And But yeah, like that's where it started and, and nothing happened with them for a while and then I saw them play December Underground and stuff like that and Crash Love, I saw them when they come out for that as well. And but definitely, oh, I was actually going to pick a track off December Underground for the playlist. It was actually one of the first... The track I was going to pick was one of the first ones. Initially, I was like, yeah, I'm going to have this on there. And then I ended up taking it off and swapping it with Total Immortal at the end because I felt like I, I wanted this part, of, this part of the playlist sort of needed that bit of energy. And mm -hmm. I, I, find, uh, I used to sort of have a bit of a laugh and a joke with mates with this song in particular because Davey I find somewhat like hard to understand in this yep. song and I find it, you know, be on the piss with mates listening to it and you just start screaming your, your impersonation of Davey and making 
and it's complete gibberish on purpose, making no sense at all because all you can understand is the woes. You can't understand anything Dave is saying and it'd almost be a bit of a joke. And so I find myself sort of having a bit of a chuckle to myself every time I listen to, to this song. You stole my question. I was going to say, where's the December Underground song? <laughs> I'm just I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, it was, uh, was going to be Endlessly, she said, for the record. Interesting. Yeah, that, that was going to be my December Underground track. We should definitely do a bit of an AFI pod one day where we debate because I feel like there's so many people that we know that have different like love for AFI on different side of the fence, um, which albums they, they like and, and don't like. Um but that's for another pod. <laughs> this is uh, like people argue that this is the best era of AFI. The punk era? Black Sails, The Artist Drowning. I, I prefer the emo CP. stuff. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and you're, you're younger than us anyway, but yeah. Um, Black Sails and The Artist Drowning in this is almost untouchable. We're talking about three album EP runs. Yeah, they're great albums. There's some definite like superstar tracks amongst those albums for sure. But yeah, this was on Tony Hawk's three. Three was it? Okay. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Well, not this song, but the boy who destroyed the world. Oh, that's, that's it. Yeah. yeah. That's one I'd of my favorite get those tracks. Two. I'd always get those yeah. two mixed up. Yeah. But like they're both on the same EP and it's a great EP. One of my favorites. It is for sure. Yeah. I don't know why I'd ever listen to these records because I did listen to a lot of like punk music, but I'm not sure what happened. It's really interesting because also with AFI, they have a habit of have or had had a habit of a similar trajectory to bring me where they were kind of ahead of the curve with what was happening musically. Probably yeah. dropped off in recent times, but getting up into like December Underground and Crash Love, they were kind of paving the way for other bands and changing the scene as they're going along. And they've been doing it for like 20 years now, 30 years probably. Yeah. Really interesting band. Definitely. Like I, that December underground tour that they did was just phenomenal. Like they were just so polished then. I think that's why at that time I was like very thick into um, my guitar playing. I was very much a perfectionist and and, I think because the production and everything was just so spot on on that album, it was very polished. I think I, I definitely liked that. But having said that, man, if I had a time machine, I would be straight back to early days AFI at Warped Tour for sure. Well, should we load that one up? We've got some great tracks in this bracket and uh, we'll talk to them on the other side. Here's AFI. Yo.
right, so at the top there we had AFI with Total Immortal. Then we had Kill Switch Engage, Rose of Sharon, and then Sum 41 with Hooch. So, Sean, tell us about Kill Switch. Okay, um, Kill Switch were a big uh, artist for me in the mid 2000s. Um, I guess I played in like a punk band, pop punk band, when I was at school. And then um, in my own time, I sort of played more sort of, sort of like heavier stuff. And um, my brother-in-law, um, I used to jam with him a lot to sort of like heavier stuff, um, Kill Switch, Metallica, um, System of a Down, that sort of thing. So um, I picked this track because um, well, Howard wrote this about his mum when she passed and um i related to it a lot because um my brother-in-law had cancer and passed away um and yeah i guess um that came out around the same sort of time that that happened and so i found myself relating to um howard's lyrics a lot even though instead of it being about like well it was about Mm. his mother I was relating myself to that with um, the loss of my brother-in-law, who I sort of saw him as um, like a brother that I never had. It was weird. I probably, I don't know, come to think of it, I probably like feel bad for my sister a little bit. I probably like stole him off her quite a lot because we just did like everything together, man, and had so many like fond memories. And um, sorry, I'm like really trying to keep keep it together. Um, yeah, so so that's pretty much uh, sort of a tip of the hat to to him. Um, yeah, um, I, I sort of in my mind, I've been, I've been listening to my playlist for weeks or months on repeat, trying to think of what to say, and I sort of uh, sort of can't really say it. You know what I mean? It's a hard thing, and I think especially music, I mean, it can trigger so many different emotions, right? And sometimes the song says enough, right? And I think it's hard to find those words, and we, you know, clearly this is a hard topic, right? And roughly so. Um, but I think it's great that a band like Kill Switch Engage has so many great songs, can can help and, you know, can, can give us something to relate to when words are hard to come by. Yeah. Um, I mean, like... I was always going to pick Kill Switch. I was going to pick a different song off a different album, and I couldn't. I couldn't pick because I didn't necessarily. I didn't want to be a huge downer, and um, but then I just thought, like, oh fuck it. I'm just. I'm sort of going to sort of make myself vulnerable. I suppose you know what I mean. And his cousin, we used to jam with him a lot. He was just an amazing musician. We used to call him like the Lord of the Strings because like the Lord of the Rings album was. Um, movie was sort of you know out around then and so we, we used to play with the lord of the strings we called him and and after jack passed um as daylight dies was obviously the next album that came out and we used to jam with him a lot to that album as well and it's sort of weird like i i had like, i was sort of like leading these like alternate lives where like I was like playing in a band playing like some 41 blink 182 type sort of 
poppy punky type stuff and then I'd, I'd go home and I'd be playing like kill switch and system of a down and all this like real heavy stuff and yeah I've got these like extremely fond memories of playing kill switch engage and always respected how I found that quite difficult just how they structured their their riffs and stuff like that but yeah um rosa sharon definitely um cuts pretty deep for me um yeah and and when he says stuff like um like it won't be long we'll meet again like i don't see myself as a religious person but part of me feels like it would definitely be nice to to meet up with some loved ones again one day that's for sure Mm yeah thanks for sharing sean um i know it's difficult um but it's it really goes to show that like what people think of externally of a band like kill switch they think of anger first of all yeah and it really shows the amount of heart that these bands have and um i wouldn't I wouldn't feel sorry for your sister because you stole him away from her, like because you were hanging out with him so much. She would have loved that you had that connection with him, so you just mm. embraced that he was part of the family. Yeah, and like yeah. really, um, because it can be hard to assimilate into something as tight as a family can be. Yeah. Um, so I, I really like it's it's really nice to to hear the the fond memories that you had and the connection that you had. With him, because he's essentially like came in as a stranger. Mm-hmm. Could have been, you could have been like walls up. No, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. But you actually embraced him with open arms and 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 riffs, and, and it's really nice. It's a really nice story, even though it's yeah. a sad one. But it's it's really nice. Yeah, thanks. Like, definitely didn't start off like oh, like a bit of roses. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like. It, it, it was definitely like the brother I never had type thing, and there's lots of memories. I, I do think about him an awful lot, and um, that that's where my um connection with like Fantasia Famish comes in with as well. Like um, like Brilliant Blue on that definitely like sort of makes me feel like I've got that like connection with him again during that song. And um, the paper cranes we're using in the film, in the fills, sorry, were um, paper cranes that we folded for him um, back in the day, based on that that um, Japanese folklore, Sadako and the Thousand Paper Cranes, because me and my sister were lucky enough to go and exchange to Japan with the sister school that our high school had. And um, so we had both, obviously, like, not at the same time because she was a bit older than me. But, like, she went over for, like, this two-week exchange and um, their both their daughters had spent exchanges at our house and then I, I went there as well. So um, when they heard that, that Jack had cancer, um, I remember sometime afterwards this box arriving in the mail and their, their family had folded a 1,000 paper cranes and... Um, we thought we would like do the same thing and we, we folded a thousand ourselves as well. And um, my sister still had the cranes sitting around. She sort of wasn't sure what to do with them, I guess. And um, I sort of asked, uh, I mentioned to Alex that we had them and like, you know, like, maybe should I ask my sister, like, 
we could use them. There's there's cranes on the cover, so like that that's the inspiration behind the the crane fills for that Agnes release. Yeah, mm. that's really nice. It's a, it's. I mean, it's such an amazing that you know a song that came out what twenty years ago now, um, more than twenty years ago. Twenty years ago, Killswitch releases. I think um, uh, two thousand four. That album came out. Yeah, yeah so nearly yeah. nearly twenty years ago, and then you've got a yeah. record, Fantasia Famish, that came out what five years ago, four or five years ago. Um, mm. It's still kind of like that legacy can kind of live on in a way, you know. And I think it's the power of music, right? And I think you've articulated yourself really well. Oh, yeah, I guess I guess yeah. that wait. Yeah. Well, um, should we move on to some forty-one? Yeah, let's um, pick it up a notch. <laughs> so, um, Hooch by Sum Forty One. So, does this look infected? Man, I love that album. Classic. Classic. I think it's a classic. I remember yeah. All Killer No Filler, and I was just like, "Man, this is sick!" Like, where are they going to go from here? Um, and then does this look infected came out, and I guess it was a little bit like heavier, could you say? And mm-hmm. Man, I would, uh, that would definitely be that and American Idiot would sit on top of the hill of like pop punk albums for me. Um, I think it's it's pretty untouchable and I'm a bit of a, like you feel, I'm a bit of a sucker for closers and I feel like Hooch is like the, like just such a sick closer, the closing song. Um, that like, the outro to that, I find myself, I guess it's normal, like listening to music sometimes and sort of almost mm-hmm. like and find yourself daydreaming. And I, I feel like if I snap out of that daydream during that outro to that song, I could be like, it's like that song, that part of the song could have been playing mm-hmm. on repeat like all day and I know, and you wouldn't realise, you know what I mean? And I, I picked that not only for that reason, um, through a bit of high school, I was in this band and... Um, it was so cool playing these. Like we had a bunch of originals used to play at these like parties and stuff. Like people that have like a sixteenth birthday party, and I was like a little bit younger than the other guys, and just like you set up and play these songs and shit. I remember like Chop Suey by System coming out, and like I was saying before about Davey, like we'll just be playing it. And not singing that fast part and just singing, you want to, and want to, and like just taking the piss. And yeah. I've got all these like wicked memories and that it was quite a toxic environment that I, that I was in. And there was a lot of underage drinking and other stuff going on. And I found myself wanting to play some 41 and Green Day and I wanted to play, I stopped I just wanted to, I went through a bit of a phase where I just enjoy, I was, I was tr- trying to have fun again with yeah. playing and I, and I found comfort in just playing covers. I just, you know, I always strive to like play this like real technical stuff at home and stuff like that. And I just found with Green Day and Sum 41 and stuff, it was just fun. Like it doesn't have yeah. to be technically difficult or whatever to be great and uh, I, we always used to play 
like at the end of a set, we would play Damn It by Blink. Mm. And I, I really wanted to play Hooch at the end because I loved playing that and I loved playing like the solo and stuff like that and had this big falling out with the singer and the other guitarist. We had two guitarists. Like I, I just sort of played like the rhythm stuff. And I don't know if it was like a personal thing because I wanted to play like this heavier punk sort of song with a guitar solo in it. But we played it like once at this band practice and I just thought it was like the best shit ever and he hated it. And <laughs> I sort of left the band. Like the next day I like messaged him. It was on like MSN Messenger and I sort of said that I couldn't do it anymore and I tried to make it as amicable as possible and it ended up like quite messy. But, yeah, that sort of song to me like marked like the end of that sort of era of my sort of like playing in a band and my dream of being a, a famous musician, I guess you could say. So that's why I swapped that around with Killswitch. I, I swapped that chronologically with Killswitch Engage because right. um, I found Hooch was a, a nice, because it's a closing track and that outro, a nice way to end that bracket. Yep. But, um, yeah, the, the whole Killswitch story from before, that was sort of like that sort of like ended my playing guitar sort of all together yeah. almost, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great debate. I mean, what, what's the best punk pop punk uh, record or band of that era? I was literally with uh, like Webby friend of the pod yesterday and uh, we were, we were debating on the best newfound glory record. Um, not that we had a very different of an opinion, but we we went down a rabbit hole of what would what would you rank that as a best pop punk record? Um, and some forty one came up, Green Day came up, um, Blink came up, and I think it's just a good debate. Um, and I think I could imagine if I did play an instrument, playing songs like that, especially huge, would just be fun. So I don't blame you for wanting to play that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how you say about like you're talking about bands and like with best albums and stuff like that. Because, like, say, take Green Day, for example, I I would put American Idiot in my top ten favourite albums of all time, I think. But then yeah, I, if I was going to listen to a Green Day album, I'd probably reach for Insomniac more than I would reach for American Idiot. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about that, My Chem's my favourite band. I think The Black Parade would be my favourite album, but it's not what I listen to the most. Um I think there's so many examples of that through like people we talk to, what they want to, cho- what they choose to listen to, just differs from what is maybe the best or, or um, critically acclaimed and things like that. So it's a, good, it's a good topic. I reckon you could do a whole mixtape on just bands like that or albums yeah. like that. It's definitely a mood thing, and like, like um, what Dave mentioned before about like with AFI, even how just there was that big sort of shift in sound. I think that that definitely plays part in it you could even put blink in that sort of same sort of category i guess you could say yep yeah there's just so many it's almost impossible to pick one yeah as the best yeah well i'm excited to move on to the next bracket um the first track there is no world for tomorrow by coheed and cambria coheed and cambria man what a band I remember I had this mate he was uh, a chef and part of his salary don't ask me how this works out is he'd get a bottle of grog 
You get a bottle of grog every week on the house, and so we'd, uh, me and Jazz would go up to his place, and um, Jazz and his partner would sort of like hang out, and me and him would would pretty much like talk shit, listen to music, and drink Jamison. It, like, just that was what we did every weekend, and he always used to bring up Coheed and Cambria. Have you listened to them? No, I haven't. And he'd put it on in the background and I'd just get carried away talking and I'd got myself familiar with um, Coheed and I just sort of never got around to to doing it. And then I brought an um, external hard drive around because his computer was like an encyclopedia of downloaded music and he put Coheed on there and I gave it a listen and I was just like, yeah, this is cool. Like uh, and I, I loved it, and then we would talk. He sort of told me about the Amory Wars and how Claudio sort of—it's almost like their their music was almost—I guess you could say like a soundtrack or like mm. telling that the Amory Wars story of this science fiction like universe comic that he'd created. And I picked No World for Tomorrow because. I vividly remember when that came out and I bought the album and that's the opening track and come on and something just clicked and I was just, just like, whoa. And then that was, that was where, how do I explain it? Like Alice in Wonderland, when she takes that pill and fall and, and you know what I mean? That was Mm. really what started that deep dive. And it's a very deep dive with Coheed. Um, so much law. They've got a big discography, and it's—I mean, like it's one thing to write like a great concept album, but like they're like a concept band. Like they're pretty much their whole discography, minus the Color Before the Sun, is based in this like science fiction universe that the singer came up with, and it's so cool. I found I've wait—I've spent so much time reading up about it, and I've got the graphic novel for Second Stage Turbine Blade, which is the start of it all. And um, I haven't even gotten all the way through it because I find myself I just have to keep going back and going over stuff because it's just so much, you know, like it's like a bit of a sensory overload for me. But I think it's so cool having more than like just the music. There's got stuff that you can relate this story back to. And, it's yeah, it's just sick. <laughs> I guess, like, what, what else can I say? Like, yeah. I know a lot of people, you know, aren't big fans of Coheed because they might find Claudio's, like, voice a little bit irritating and I can sort of understand that to some degree. But, yeah, like, I just find the storytelling, it's so cool and I, I love how some of this stuff sounds so sweet and innocent but then you, you listen to what he's singing about in the context of this universe that he's created and like it's, it's like sounds all sweet but he's singing about some dark shit here and there you know and it's yeah it's very cool and I, I love nerding out on Coheed they're definitely mm-hmm. a band that I try to um, influence onto people I guess you could say yeah I remember when I first heard Coheed, I thought I thought someone was playing a prank on me because they just gave me a burnt CD. It just had C and C on it. And then In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth, number three. I was like, this cannot be an actual thing. 
Yeah. Because, like, because like, usually you're dealing with, like, Newfound Glory, Sticks and Stones, and, like, all these other bands that are very, like, like, I don't say serious named, but, like, that was pretty out there for the time. Put it on, I was like, oh, man, this is incredible. Like, first track's, like, or second track's, like, 10 minutes long. Yeah, oh, just, that's why I didn't put that one in. <laughs> yeah, no, no that's, that's completely understandable. Yeah, yeah. But um, it just told this story, and I was like, oh, I just need more of this. Eventually, it got to the point where I kind of fell off a little bit. My music taste kind of changed a little bit. But I yeah. still go back to these first three albums, oh, first four albums, I should say, a fair yeah. bit. So good. Have you seen the Neverender DVD? Yeah. Have you, Phil, or you, do you know much about that? So no, I haven't seen that. They've got this DVD called Neverender, and um, they played in there. They played four hometown shows in New York. Um, it's like a celebration of the end of that part of the saga of the Amory Wars. Right. And what they did is they played four nights in a row, and on night one they played that first album front to back. Night two, second album, front to back, night three, and so on for night three and night four. And they did that on a, on a DVD, so you can watch, like, all four shows from those consecutive nights, like, front to back, and it's so epic. It's so good. I think I've yeah, got I to I'll send it up to you. Yes, please do. I actually didn't get into um, – I didn't get into Coheed when they probably started writing music. I actually went back after I got into a band that I think you both are into, uh, Closure in Moscow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a friend, I was just really like fixated on them for a period of time at the start of high school. Uh, and my mate said, if you like these vocals, you should go back and check out this band that I like called Coheed. Because like you said, the vocals are a bit more high pitched at times. It's a little bit different to the conventional stuff coming out of the scene at that time. Yeah. Um, and what their second record? Um, in keeping um, secrets, of soul. In keeping Earth. Se- is that the second? Mm, or yep. maybe the third one? The that's big the four second. on it. Good Apollo. Oh, yeah. Good Apollo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that was but, the record that introduced me to them, and to this day, like that record holds a lot of nostalgia to me. Um, but just an amazing band. And I mean, mm. Dave, we talked about we talk about the feeder um, and other concept bands. I don't think there's many that you could probably say are much better than this, given how deep the law goes. Yeah. Um, and how true to that they kind of have held themselves over the years. Like, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah and they've got a huge, like, cult following at, like, Comic-Con and stuff like that with that that Amory Wars side of side of. I saw it. they've got, like, a box set coming out soon or something I've been seeing on socials. Yeah. Um, Which is a novel? The no World for Tomorrow um, hadn't been in print yet for um, that comic book series. And as part of the anniversary, they've, yeah, they've done like this big deluxe set. I, I definitely, um, that definitely gave me a little bit of a tickle, but I, um, I held my nerve and sat on my hands and I didn't get it. But I would, eventually I'd like to get all the graphic novels. Like you can get all the comic books yeah. individually if you've got like really deep pockets. But, um, <laughs> yeah. they, they release them as like an ultimate edition and it's just yeah. in like a, like a hardback, like graphic graphic novel. So yeah, that's what I would like to get them all eventually one day. But yeah, yeah some nice. of their stuffs like super expensive, hard to get on vinyl too. Hey, um, that that's a few up on my grail list. Legs had a bunch of represses recently too. Hey, like you mentioned, if they're all yeah. gone now, let's play it. <laughs> 
No World for Tomorrow by Coheed and Cambria, followed by Hey Brother by Avicii, and then Strife by Trivium. A uh, bit of an eclectic uh, trio there in this bracket, which I'm, I'm loving. Uh, so talk to us about Avicii and why you picked this track. I feel like Avicii was definitely the um, elephant in the room when I sent through the playlist. I loved um, I saw it and I was like, because I think, and maybe, not, I don't know, Dave, but you're, what you were doing when Avicii got big, because I know you're a bit against the... You're a bit underground for, 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 for us, maybe. 
I remember it. But I feel like every man and their dog love this track. Yeah, it's a banger. Yeah, so I um I remember I, I was this every time this song comes on, whether I'm doesn't matter what I'm doing at work or whatever, this song comes on the radio and like we only where our radio is in our workshop at work, we only pick up like the local like radio station. Yeah. And so it comes on quite a bit and it doesn't matter what I'm doing. When that song comes on, it just transports me straight away back to when my firstborn was like a baby and I would come home from work and I was working a lot. I was doing big hours, six days a week, seven days a week sometimes and we had Foxtel at the time and I guess that was at that point in the charts when you know, I'd get home and I'd put Channel V on just for some, or like Music Max or whatever, on for some music. And Hey Brother would come on. And Hey, I guess long story short, Hey Brother is, I would grab Miles, my my eldest, and we would dance to Hey Brother. And especially like when the clapping part had come on and didn't matter how, shit of a day I had it didn't matter what was going on that was like that didn't matter anymore that sort of melted away and that was that's like mine and his so like I've told him this story before and it's like whatever but <laughs> like to me like, that is like doesn't matter that song could come on 10 times a day and I will still just go straight back to dancing with this little chubby bubby in my arms in the lounge room to that song and like that oh I wasn't into that kind of music but there's just something about it and even the words in it and it's a cool film clip too but um yeah that's oh yeah Hopefully that was a bit of an upper from some of the... We, we got pretty dark earlier in the pod and, yeah, that's hopefully a little bit of a, a ray of sunshine for everybody because, yeah, I'm sort of grinning from ear to ear at the moment thinking about it because, yeah, it's, yeah that's like my, my special um, song with, with my boy. I love that. It's the simple things, isn't it? Just dance yeah. along to a good song. Like... Yeah. And like you, you know what it's like, Dave. Like when when they're little, just like a little bit of bopping around, and you know you get those little chubby cheeks going, and like doesn't matter what's going on anymore. Like that's just the, the best thing ever, I reckon. And so yeah, hey, hey, brother, is is that for me? I um cannot relate. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, I don't that's think okay. I have. I don't think I have a song. I have like uh, when. Darcy, our youngest, would get really upset. I'd just take him out and sit him in the corner of our backyard under a hedge and it blows in the wind and he just loved looking at the shadows and the leaves and that would, like, settle him down. So I would actually just do that when I get home from work and we'd just sit in, like, the shade and just chill out. Um, but, yeah, I'd certainly feel those moments where you have a shit day where, like, in those times it was, like, middle lockdown so I'd get home and just sit out the back with him and just hang out Yeah, half an hour, 45 minutes. Give yeah. Lauren a rest and just... It'd go from a chance. 
It'd go from a chance thing to like I'd find myself looking forward to going home from work and and dancing to Hey Brother. It's <laughs> yeah, awesome. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, my relationship with this song, and this is showing my age, uh, this song came out the year after I finished high school and I would hear it every weekend at the clubs. <laughs> and I just take me back to making so many bad decisions. But uh, Good for you, yeah. Phil. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck off, Dave. <laughs> um, but then we backflipped into Strife by Trivium. So, I mean, I realized Bracket because it did have so many ups and downs. But, um, yeah, talk to us about Trivium. Yeah, Trivium is um, Matt, Matt Heafy or Heffy. I don't know how you pronounce his name properly. He was a big... Yeah. Um, big idol for me growing up. Um, I don't know if you've seen the All-Star Sessions um, that Roadrunner United did. He was one of like the team leaders with that and just I was, just was always in awe of his dedication and his like abilities on the guitar. And I mean, it's got mad cleans, mad screams. Like he's sort of got the whole package and uh, Trivium, Trivium, Lamb of God, those sorts of bands, that sort of American sort of metal were like huge in that sort of era. And that album, Vengeance Falls, a lot of people don't necessarily like it as much because, you know, everyone always likes like the old stuff better than the new stuff. But I related to the album a lot. I I thought it had a, a really nice balance of the cleans and the screams and that... It's probably not my favourite album, but that came out when we were living in Queensland. We moved up to Queensland for work. And um, that album and Let the Ocean Take Me and the two Afterman Coheed albums were sort of, and Good AM by Mac Miller, they were sort of like the soundtracks to that that, that two-year period that I spent in Queensland. And um, Strife... It's just like it's got a wicked guitar solo in it, but it's just so that guitar build up with those power chords and that into the chorus and with the double kick on the drums. It's just got something about it. It's like um, like you're about to go to battle type thing. You know what I mean? I, I find it like a little bit uplifting mm. and inspiring. And um, when I first moved to Melbourne, I missed seeing them because I didn't know anyone to go mm. with, and then. Knotfest came around and um, Trivium playing at Knotfest this year was like the main draw card for me pretty much. And um, when they played, I I, I couldn't believe my ears when like they they started playing Strife because I wasn't sure if they'd play it. And um, yeah, that was probably my like fondest memory of Knotfest this year, which was an awesome festival. It's like the best since early Soundwave days in my opinion. And um, Strife was sick. I can't remember if it was Strife mm. or Pull Harder on the Strings of Yamada, which is the first Trivian song I actually heard. I like nearly died oh, really? in the pit, man. It was so fucking just gnarly. It was so sick. But seeing them seeing them live was definitely like a big like bucket list thing for me because Trivium probably still are, but I mean, I'm less influenced with the metal stuff nowadays, but like they're definitely a huge um, band for me. And the the story that is Sean. 
No, I love that. Um, and I think you mentioned like Trivium and, and Lamb of God from that era. It's funny that you say that because Trivium obviously playing not fest this year. Um, Lamb of God have been teasing a bit of an Australian festival return, I think. So they could be up for for not fest this year or next year. Um, yeah, well, that week following Notfest this year, there was some people talking about like, oh, like who who would you like to see at Notfest Notfest next year? And I I was like, to myself, thinking, man, I'd love to see Lamb of God and Machine Head. That's the other one I couldn't think of. Like, yeah, I definitely went through a phase with those sorts of like new American metal, I guess you could say, bands. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm keen tomorrow night's announcement for Notfest. Yeah, fuck, is that tomorrow they're announcing it, are they? Tomorrow night, yeah. I mean, I've seen Lamb of God a few times. But, um, Same. Yeah, yeah. sorry, dude. Yeah, I they're, very, wanna... they're very loud. Yes, <laughs> they're very the loud. Yeah, yeah. I um, Can I throw a really obscure, for me, um, hat in the ring of what I, who I'd like to see at Not, uh, not Fair this year or yeah. next year? Children of Bodom. Oh, will they, though? Because old mate died. They've still been releasing music, so I'm kind of hoping that... Isn't it Bodom? I don't know. Fuck off. I think it's Bodom. I hope Sepultra come back and play, you <laughs> fucking dicks. Sepultra. <laughs> um, I have not listened to Trivium. This is a throwback because I used to listen to... I haven't listened to them since, like, Shogun came out, basically. What an album. Um, I used to smash Ascendancy in the Crusade. But they've brought out so much music since. Um, they're prolific now. So it's like one of the big dogs. Yeah. They are one of the big dogs now. Oh, and yeah, man. The latest album that they brought out is, I mean, I don't really recall it really being talked about or hyped up much, but I thought it was the best Trivium since it, like they brought it back to like the Shogun sort of era. With that latest album they did, it was like pretty sort of like relentless. I didn't even realize they released a record in 2021. That's wild. Yeah, I didn't hear anyone talk that about in, it. In the yeah. Court of the Dragon, I think it's called. Man, that is yeah, that's pretty epic. I don't have it because that was sort of like like a lot of that newer stuff that we we're talking about earlier. It was quite like expensive for what it was, but yeah, that's a, a wicked album. If that came out 20 years ago, everyone would be talking about how they want a 20-year anniversary of that album, I think. Very interesting, that that whole conversation. But, yeah, they're huge. Love their soul. Like, it, they just – it's just fast, clean, yep. technical, mm. full of solos, just so much. It just gets you going. It's it's great live. It translates yes. really well. Yeah, yeah. And he seems very, he seems very humble too as a front man. So, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of humble front men, I think the next track is, uh, in my opinion, maybe the best song on the on the playlist. I'm probably a bit biased, um, but "Race Car Blues" by Slowly Slowly. Ooh. Yeah. So this uh, this next bracket of the podcast is that's sort of more fast forwarding to like sort of like where I'm at now. Um, I remember. Um, being introduced to slowly, slowly through Triple J. So I remember hearing Ten Leaf Clover and those sorts of things. And um, 
never for no particular reason it's just i just remember hearing those songs on the radio and never really like diving in much more much further and so i sort of like left it as that i knew who they were and i liked those those track those like singles from st leonard's that triple j played and then jellyfish came around and i didn't like it um the, <laughs> just the you know have you ever seen a jellyfish that shit's crazy i just used to think the fuck is this what's he talking about and i just yeah i i um i sort of i didn't gravitate to that so i I left it and then we picked that story back up at unify with you phil yeah and you knew i was a little bit like "Eh," slowly like yeah i was probably being a little bit arrogant in saying that but you know like i watched the set and I was thinking to myself, man, I wish I had versed myself a little bit better with these guys because this set is amazing. Yeah. And they were they were great. Race Car Blues, the song, um, I think it's just an absolute belter of a closer. I love that there was that string of shows that I saw. I think they played that at the end of the Unify set, correct? Yeah, there was a period of time where Race Car Blues was the closer up yeah. until... I think Daisy their regional Chain. run, yeah, until like the regional run just before that album dropped. That's yeah. when they, they moved it to like mid-set. Yeah. Um, so apart from the last time I saw them not long ago, like every time I'd seen them, they finished the show with Race Car Blues. And um, I saw them with my wife in Torquay. And um, that was the year of that last Unify. When was that last year? And Yeah. Man, I, I just I felt things during that song. It's the best. Yeah, like I, I'm pretty I'm pretty introverted, and I just remember, like I, I feel like there's this, you know, the, the song spends the first like minute and a half of the song with this big build up, and yeah, and I feel like when he's repeating the chorus at the end, it's just a big just release of all this emotion, yeah. you know what I mean? Especially when the, the guitar's in that cut and he's like repeating that at the end and then he's like sort of gasping to catch his breath at the end. Oh, I find there's just so much emotion in the way Ben sings and here's another one that just writes so beautifully and I remember at this talkie gig just that end part just like screaming at the top of my lungs and just not giving a shit. And usually I wouldn't yeah. do that because I'd be self-conscious about other people looking at this guy singing along, you know what I mean? And um, I just didn't care and I just and it was like a bit out of character for me and I, I just did it and it was just this huge emotional release and I, and I just remember just like screaming at the top of my lungs and at the end just, just feeling just, I guess, a little bit emotionally spent but it was good to get it out, you know what I mean? And, yeah, it was just like that song, it doesn't necessarily have – it's not like the deepest cut that they've got and it's not like the most mm. sort of like emotionally like gut-wrenching song they have, but there's just something about that song that's just like speaks, I think. I think a word that's come up in the in the in probably the last six weeks of the pod, we've had a few people on and they've been talking about the soul of a track – 
and I feel like this has soul, you know, it has, has emotional weight to it that I think, although some other tracks on their record are probably a bit more emotional or have some weight to actual things, I feel like you can't, and this is why we love like, you know, we, we talk about screamo music and things that I can't even understand half the shit they're saying in the moment, but it's the soul and, and the feeling. And I think this just captures that really perfectly. Um, it's definitely in the and, performance, the delivery. Delivery, yeah, but that, I think he it's, has yeah. that quiver in his voice. Give me voice breaks. Give me the oh. yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's funny though. I'm glad that you, I remember. I remember that Unify actually, and I actually forgot that moment. I forgot that I forgot the world. What the world looked like when Sean didn't like or wasn't <laughs> into slowly, slowly. I just forgot like that wasn't in my memory until you brought it up just then. Um, but look, I don't, I don't blame you. I feel like. All of their singles and their writing in general is quite complex, I think, for a Aussie indie rock alternative band. You know, their biggest single before Jellyfish was Ten Leaf Clover, which isn't yeah. a conventional single by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like Jellyfish was their go to being like, hey, we've got some traction. Let's write a poppier song that's a bit catchy. Yeah, I think it went against the grain a little bit to how they write music. And I think that's why the people that love that song aren't necessarily diehard Slowly Slowly fans. Yeah, true. Um, I think it's grown on a lot of people. Like, it's now one of my favorite tracks. Although yeah, at the time, I was like, this is a bit weird. Um, I mean, crazy. I really like the track now, and um, my wife, Jazz, um, really likes Slowly, and I, I guess I got her into Slowly, and she like loves Jellyfish. And so, yeah. like, I, I wanted to put Slowly in here as well. Like, that's <coughs> another reason. Like, it's not only sort of where I'm at now, um, but that's Slowly gets is on high rotation in the Jordan household because like we can all enjoy it. Yeah. And, and the kids talk about it a little bit. They're not super into music in particular just yet, but if slowly comes on, they know it slowly and they can, they can yep. sing along to some bits here and there for sure. Absolutely. It's a, it's, a, it's just easy to listen to. It's good for, for everyone. I think. Yeah. Um, Do you think it's their best album? Who are you asking? Both of you. I am currently, if you'd asked me, Before I think then. yes. When this came out, I think it was. Um, the more and more I listen to them, uh, and after seeing their last tour where they played like two hours worth of music, I actually think Daisy Chain is a better album. And I know that's a bit of a controversial take. I think that album and all the songs on it are just awesome. I think Race Car Blues will still be my favorite, but I don't think it's their best anymore. I, I, I truly believe Daisy Chain is like just fucking so good of a record, even though yeah. it's a bit different. I feel like Race Car Blues is my front runner, but yeah, only because it's like marinated <coughs> for longer. I feel like Daisy Chain is definitely like in the overtaking lane, I guess you could say. But, yep. um, yeah, that would be my top two for sure. Yeah, I'm probably on the same. I still like, probably like St. Leonard's a little bit more than Daisy Chain because I'm like... Emo boy. It's more underground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm who I am. Um, but I was thinking actually the other day um, that Daisy Chain is actually growing more because I was like, wasn't really around it when it first came out. So I'm giving it some time to marinate. I, I so think- good life. It's so good live, and I think uh, I'm not sure if you got you boys watched the the doco they put out around their show at the forum. Um, 
that came out earlier this year or late last year or something like that. And I remember they said that um, Daisy Chain was the album that they wrote for them. They felt like, I think, through the Race Car Blues period, they were trying to be, they were trying to write songs to fit a mold. And I think Daisy Chain came and they just were a bit more free with their writing. Um, I know they've done Too Slow since, which is obviously probably getting some of that more like punkier roots out of them a little bit. But I felt that after I, I, I heard them talk about the writing for Daisy Chain like that and then seeing it live, I think it just gave me probably a different view on things. Um, because like it, when, when Race Car Blues Part 2 came out, songs like The Level, and there were some other tracks on there that just felt like out of place. So I get why they weren't on the album. I felt like they were like just true B-side stuff, but you could see that it was coming out. And then I think yeah. Daisy Chain, they just perfected it. And it's just like fucking epic. And like God has become probably top three favorite track by them. And so anyways, I could talk about slowly for hours. Yeah, same. God, God was great when they played that last time. Life, that was sick. Um, and I'm so keen to see how they go on. I know they played Unify, but I, I'm hoping they get some more fans playing good things. Yeah, that's sick. They're playing the main stage, do I heard? Playing the main stage. Good bands up there. Hopefully all the uh, Fallout Boy simps that aren't already into them find out about them because there's going to be a lot of people there just for Fallout Boy. Yeah. Um, and I hope when Slowly comes on, they're like, fuck, I'm going to go check this band out because they deserve to be big, big all around the world. And, and um, we don't and even st- need... Sorry. Mm. There you go. I was going to say, we don't even need to have that conversation about how they would handle a bigger stage because they proved at Fuck. Unify the, the size of the stage is obviously yeah. no concern. No. Awesome. Well, let's play that track and we're getting to the end and some heavy hitters still to come.
my friends do too I wrote your name on shower screens for ten years long I don't wanna go
pain stay here Okay, so at the top there we had Slowly Slowly with Race Car Blues and then Trophy Eyes Stay Here. Oh, that's a heavy bracket, actually. Yeah, that's very heavy. Um, trophy Eyes, man, I love Trophy Eyes. They are so good. John Floriani's singing and songwriting is just, is uh, he, pretty special in, in that regards, I think. And um, this, I, I picked this because it's, I think it's my album of the year this year. So I guess we're at the, that, that stage in the playlist where we're sort of in present day. And yep. so I, I would say, um, unless something incredible comes out in the next month, which I don't think it will, I, I don't think anything. I don't even know what's coming out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think, um, Trophy Eyes is a close winner over um, Agnes Peace for album of the year for me and stay, I mean, everything pretty much that um, Trophy Eyes do definitely cuts pretty deep um, the, the way they approach like mental health and that sort of stuff, especially I guess on Chemical Miracle, but on Suicide and Sunshine, like in the wake of, of Sean, um, it's a pretty relatable album for a lot of us, I think, in this day and age with people being a lot more open about mental health and stuff like that. Mm. And I think even though it's not the closer, it could have been a closer in its own right for sure, like just that last line. Of, of that the track has like – that album has like three closers. You could have picked anyone <laughs> to be a closer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an amazing album. I think it's, I think it's their best album. Um, and I think it's it for me. That's um, my album of the year for twenty twenty three. There's something about John Floriani's voice and the the feeling and the heart that he puts into that. It's um sort of it's next level. I think. Yeah, pretty well said. Um, yeah. Initially, I that was my first reaction is that Stay Here could have been the closer. But then the more I've listened to this, I think I did a calculation like 45 times, I think, since it came out. Yeah. So I've, I've absolutely smashed it. And I was of the opinion for like two months that Stay Here should have been the closer. But it, it's it's in a pair with Epilogue. Is it Epilogue? Or the, yeah, the, the Epilogue. The closer. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of like Stay Here. And then it's like... The, the final track is like a celebration of the album of the story so far, I guess. And it's such an interesting way that they've actually built or put the album together. I think it's like a, it's, it's like a roller coaster. It's, it's, it's definitely crazy. a journey. Dave, yeah. You've just set me up for the, the, the finishing volley. I agree. And I think you made a comment before, Sean, where it's it, it, like Chemical Miracle is very emotional, talks about the, the mental health, right? But I feel like in this record, it's probably be a bit more honest, if I'm being honest. Um, and that probably you know, it doesn't come through from, I guess, the on, like the rawness and the honesty that I think Chemical Miracle has. I feel like this record touches every point of grief and struggling with mental health from the highs and the lows. And I think it summarizes it really well. So I think each track is very perfectly placed where it takes you on that journey, whereas Chemical Miracle is a bit of a sad boy from front to end. 
Um, I think this one has a bit of everything in it. And I think by the time you get to the end, um, you need that. there is that feeling of hope, right? That I just don't know if Chemical Miracle had that. Chemical Miracle starts low and it just fucking rams you into like a state of depression, which I love. <laughs> but, I, I, was, um, I was waiting for you to finish. I was going to say, yeah, like Chemical Miracle is very grim and it's very raw and, <clears throat> and it is like he goes to some pretty dark places. And uh, I think as much as they both talk about mental health i feel like suicide and sunshine is almost like the shining light yeah almost and that like as grim as it can be that there is that 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 glimmer of hope and that there is things to hold on to and that positivity out of it and and that where whereas chemical miracle it's sort of like there is no light at the end of that tunnel. Yeah, it's fucking... You know what I mean? It just, yeah, it, yep. it's a bit of a beat down. And, like, it's amazing. It's an amazing album, without a doubt. I'm not discrediting that at all. But um, the way that they put Suicide and Sunshine together, it's um, it, it definitely... It, it sort of... He rips your heart out a little bit, but I guess at the end it's, he gives it back to you and you've got a bit of hope left, left still that, that yeah. it's, it's going to be all right and you can you can soldier on and and that, yeah, it, it, as shit as things can be, the, the, it shouldn't be that, that shit that there's no other option for you to take. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. I am... Um, oh, go on, Dave. The thing that really sticks to me with the final line that John says, if you leave now, you only transfer your pain, stay here, is like the way I've always seen suicide. And I've yeah. never been able to verbalize it because I'm like, like I've always seen it as, as quite a, a selfish thing in a way where you're just taking your pain, you're getting rid of it for yourself, but you're always putting it onto someone else. When it happens, because it happens to your partner or your kids or like whoever, your parents, you're just transferring that to someone else. It's like, it's not actually dealing with the issue. Like your personal issues are, are done because you're not here anymore, but people have still got to deal with that once you're gone. And that's, it kind of really gave me goosebumps the first time I, I heard it because I was just like this light bulb moment in my brain where I was like, oh, I couldn't actually verbalize or like relate to what he's saying and it's like put a piece in my brain a little bit to to kind of explain how i felt about suicide in that way yeah yeah it's it's sort of it's funny how it's managed to put such a a complex and difficult sort of explanation sort of into like one short sentence you know what i mean and yep it's pretty much like it's what it is. Yeah. Also, just want to know before we, we maybe move on. Speaking of closers, Trophy Eyes have got probably the best run of closers out of any band, in my opinion. Every single release they've done, their last track is A1, the best. Yep. 100%. Um, and that's all I want to say about that. Well, we've got one song to talk about, and that's uh, Mac Miller Dunno. Dunno? Dunno. Dunno. That was terrible. I'm sorry. Recorded at the Spotify Studios in New York City. So, 
as you guys are aware, I'm a big Mac Miller fan. And um, I sort of, I nearly wasn't going to pick a Mac track for the playlist because I didn't want to be like too predictable. But I um, mean, his discography is like pretty huge for me. I'm, I'm, I don't really know how to put it into words. I, I struggled coming up with a track because I find his discography, it's almost like there's there's a different album that he has for sort of any situation really. If you feel like partying, if you're happy, if, you, if you're sad, if you just want to chill out, you know what I mean? That There's something for everyone that likes that style of music, I guess. But um, I was probably nearly always going to pick something off the Swimming album. I think it's obviously my opinion. I think it's one of the... I hope it goes down in history as one of the greatest albums of all time or hip-hop albums of all time anyway. I think it's... Mm-hmm. That's his masterpiece for sure it, the, the way it's composed and everything and I had a hard time out of the last few tracks off the album in particular what to pick um, I ended up going with Dunno because well I went with the, the Spotify live one because I love the piano in it and mm. I love the singing in it and the sense of vulnerability he has with that. And it, like I've listened to my fair share of like interviews and that with him. And, you know, like he said that, you know, like his voice is like his instrument and, you know, he can hide behind bars and raps and stuff all day and just release rap albums. And, but it, you're not really, I guess there's, you know, why not sort of stretch that instrument further with his voice, you know, and, and you know, like, yeah, he's not the greatest singer, but he's putting himself out there and, and it's honest. And I feel like what you see is what you get with his music. And I, I, found, I find that very comforting, how sort of open he was about with his his struggles and I guess his success and stuff like that as well could be very in your face and in some regards. And I I wanted to pick, uh, I'm sort of talking in circles here at the moment. Sorry. I swimming in circles, maybe Sean. Yeah, I'm swimming in circles. Um, I I wanted to, I I opened the playlist with an opener and I wanted to close it with a closer. And I I realized I already had a handful of closes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on the playlist and so another reason I picked the Spotify sessions version of this is I feel like it's the ultimate closer it was the last recording that he made before he passed I think it was like three weeks or so before um, mm. he overdosed and so I feel like it's like the ultimate closer uh, in, a, in a way and um, it's like his story is pretty, tr- it's pretty tragic. And I think I'll, I love the part when he says, I think we might just be all right. Thank God. And every time I get to that, it's just like, it's a sense of relief, but it really like gets me. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. it's, you sort of know that 
the song's about to finish and then that's it. Like, yeah. For real, that's that's the full stop. Apart from Circles, which was the posthumous release, but yeah, I found that quite. It's pretty chilling. Especially how you know how the story ends. Like it's it, it is pretty harrowing to think. Um. Yeah, it's heavy. Hmm. How do you feel about this one, Dave? I know you've been on your journey with Mac lately. Yeah. Um. It's not one that st- like has st- stood out to me, but I've been trying to give these later ones a go. Because you like the earlier stuff, hey? Yeah, like um, more, more traditional like hip hop. Yeah, but there's not like it's not that I don't like it. It's just it's taking me a little bit of time to get into like the ambience and the themes of the, the records a little bit. Um, yeah. But I really like the the rendition of this one, and I know Sean we've spoken about the other live album that he did. Life from space, yeah, yeah, and that's really cool. Like how he, like how the the songs have been translated a little bit, um, and the pianos that added to 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 that. And so I'm going to give those. You should watch his tiny desk as well, Dave. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, his music translates amazingly well to a live band, and I've always been a bit of a sucker to uh, of hip hop with. Um, like live instruments, especially like, jazz. Um, like the yeah. jazzy stuff. Yeah, I, I love that. And like the brassy stuff. And um, yeah, that live from space is awesome. That's like off the back of watching movies with the sound off, which is probably maybe my least favourite of his albums. It's That was like his breakout major label album and it's heavily, I think, it, I think like that album is, for, my, for especially the front half of it, is like, it's not just him under the influence. It's like the album is uh, how the, the the vocals and that are very distorted and it, it sounds yeah. like the it, you're you're in that sort of like trip and the, and I've sort of I didn't gravitate to that heaps and then you put live from space on and he's playing these same songs but just like rapping normal. Not like making yeah. it sound like it's all like you know like all like weird and stuff, and it's just like so wicked the yeah. the yeah, live that's, renditions that's of it. And I didn't want to be too predictable doing like a just a normal like rap song. I wanted to sort of show the listener that might not necessarily be into hip hop or that much into like his discography. To, to show like there was more to it than just bars and um i really do feel that he was like a pretty sort of specially gifted musician for sure or artist uh, he he produced a lot of that and played guitar and piano and stuff on a lot of his stuff and some of the stuff that he was doing at quite a young age i, I think was pretty impressive and how he stitched the back half of his discography together is pretty impressive. Like the, the, the last, um, the last bar, I guess you could say of, of music from the divine feminine sort of like finishes almost like a note early, like it's not finished. Mm. And then the, the first note of his following album swimming 
is that next note that should have been played at the end of the last album. So it's almost like you stitch those together continuously and it's like, mm. and and just like that sort of shit's just like that you wouldn't normally pick up unless you're sort of like, you know, I podcasted pretty deep into that sort of stuff and it's just like blew my mind, like all this stuff that mm. you don't pick up at first that's sort of gone into it, it sort of blows my mind a little bit about how people can think that way. I love it. I mean, I think we've spoken at length around Mac and I guess his influence. And I think you're right. Like when watching movies came out, it was a change in his creative direction, I think, or artistic direction. And I think it kind of reverberated through what came next. And and that's why, you know, we talk about favorite records. It's so hard to pick because there's like multiple eras. You know, we're talking about Taylor Swift eras. Mac had eras the whole way through his career as well. It's really hard to gauge, you know, he's just a different artist at, at times. Right. I think it comes together really well. It does have a lot of cohesive you know, moments throughout, but it's a hard one to grasp for, for people who are just trying to get into it is like, Dave, I know you've been on a journey. So. Yeah. And watching movies has been the hardest one for me to get into. I just, I've tried and tried and tried and it's just, I don't know what it is, but the it's last a hard one to get into. It's a hard one. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I'm going to give it some space and then come back to it in a few months. I think. I didn't want to do too many of these, Sean. I know we joked about it earlier, um, but do you want to hit me with your your rank your, your ranked five Mac Miller records? Like best or favorite or favorite favorite? Like what what if what, what's your what's your order? Number one would probably do. I start from one or five? Ah, uh, five. You can start with five if you can work backwards, but like <laughs> you can start at one if it's easier. I think I've had too many. <laughs> Too many you, can't, you can't see it at home, but I'm like looking at my hand. Um, I think I'm gonna have to start with one. <laughs> start with one. Go with one. Go with one. I think. I think. Like I said before, swimming is like his like masterpiece. Yeah. Um, it's not always my first go-to, but I'll put that at number one. Um, number two, I would say is Good AM. Good mm. AM. Um, came. That was 2015. I think Good AM is his flex album. He's very braggadocious on that album. And yeah. he's got like some of the songs on that go so hard. And then some of the songs on there cut so deep. And I feel like they're, that album covers his whole discography. It's like an all-rounder. Like there, there's stuff from his early days on there, and I think there's stuff that came out five years later that's on there. Yeah. And so that's number two for me. That's like the all-rounder. I'd probably reach for that one first most of yeah. the time. Number three would be the Divine Feminine because it's so jazzy and it's mm-hmm. pretty sexy. <laughs> um, it's very it's so sexy. It's very it's sexy. It's just the sex record. It is. The fucking um, best record too, fellas. <laughs> so good. Um, so that's number three. Circles would be number four because it's just um, – that's like, a, it's like a, a sunny Sunday morning. Don't have to go to work. The sun's out. Yeah. Having a cuppa and I'm um, just – chilling 
that's that record. So Circles will be number four for me. And then number five, I will say Blue Slide Park. Blue Slide number five. Actually, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I didn't include mixtapes. Otherwise, I'd have Faces up around number two or three. Hmm. Because technically Faces is a mixtape. But yeah, Faces is like, considering it came out in 2013 when he was like 23 or something like that, it's like, and he produced a lot of it and he did that at his house, fully independent. Um, it's pretty crazy. And he had some artists on there that ended up being like pretty huge as well. So, um, yeah, if I was including mixtapes, I'd chuck Faces in at number three and I'd slide everything else down. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Well, is there that brings want... us to the end of the playlist. Yeah, we're at the end. Is there anything you want to plug before before we say goodbye? Um, yeah, well, you can check out what Alex and I are up to at Sifcut underscore records on Instagram and... SCR Dream posting on Facebook if you want to check out some early stuff and see what's happening behind the scenes and stuff like that. And Good um, to see that your Instagram's getting some good traction again after I think all the issue with your, your account um, getting hacked and then starting fresh. It's good to see that your numbers are getting very close to where you were before. Yeah, it's good. That was um, on to, that definitely compounded a lot of stress and anxiety, especially on Alex's part with everything that was going on. And then all of a sudden sort of starting from scratch again um, was difficult, especially um, just like with tags and stuff like that. Like even just like I, I found myself going through all my posts that I'd made plugging what we were doing and I'd have to like remove that old tag and re-tag yeah. the new one yeah. and just little stuff like that. There's just like trying to do my bit to to get the, the wheels back on track. It was definitely stressful. So it's mm-hmm. diff cut underscore records, everybody. And the mm-hmm. other one without the underscore, block it. <laughs> report. Yeah, report that shit. Otherwise, thanks heaps for having me on. It's, um, I feel like I've like mumbled my way through it a little bit and left some stuff out. No, absolutely not. I hope, no, I hope I everyone's so enjoyed it. And yeah. Enjoy Look, the th- enjoy the pianos in this last one because it's it's a goodie. No, I just want to say I know Sean. Like we've been talking about you coming on. I think since like we said before we started recording today when we had Nick Simo on for the first mixtape. You've been thinking about it. I know we've been talking about it. Um, always hard to find a time, but what better way to cap off um, this little run with Stiff Cut that we've been doing uh, than with you? You know, not just a, a label friend, but just a, a friend in life. So. Um, thanks heaps for taking the time with the playlist. We know it's not easy. Um, yeah. And you didn't mumble. That's what podcasts are for. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> there's job. no, there's no rules. <laughs> no, thanks guys. I appreciate it. It's, um, I love talking about music and that sort of stuff. It's, yeah, it's really cool. And yeah, I'd happily do it again. So yeah, thanks heaps for having me on. It's, it's very cool. I love what you guys are doing. That's another plug. Press con pod. <laughs> Just going to check mate. it out. Like, do you see my shirt? <laughs> yeah. I didn't get the memo. I should have worn mine. Oh, I'm fucking stuffed up. You're yeah, a fake you fan, Phil. Yeah. Wait, I got it right here. Fake host. <laughs> People can't see this, but... Shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there it's it just is. a black shirt. Oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what you can see on your end, but I got it. Yeah. 
We can just see the middle. Right. Well, thanks again, Sean. Um, yeah, we had an absolute blast going through these songs, and we'd love to have you on again soon. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'd love that. And um, yeah, thanks for everyone that's made it this far. I hope you've enjoyed the music and the, the stories that have gone along with it. Sweet. We'll see you later. No see worries, you. mate. Catch us. So, uh, thank you very much, Sean, for coming on. How good was that chat? That was great. Um, a really big insight into Sean, musically, but also personally. And um, thank you so much for sharing those those stories and everything and really becoming vulnerable because that's like, it was just great. We really enjoyed it. I mean, one thing, I, like we always said, we wanted to just talk to people about music and, and hear their stories and I think the more and more we've done this, the more and more I've realized how much of an, uh, an emotional connection these people have to different kind of music. I mean, I, I think of emotional music and like we've spoken a lot about it, but there are tracks that I never even thought people would feel that way about things. And um, I think it came through today and it, it was just such a great chat. And I absolutely love you, Sean, for coming on and, and wearing your heart on your sleeve. And yeah, really enjoyed this one. Yeah, me too. And it's just like... So songs can mean so many different things to so many different people. So we yeah. you just really love exploring that. So yeah, thank you. We really appreciate it. We also wanted to send a big thank you to Alex as well and, and Sean from, from Stiff Cut for the last 10 weeks. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure talking about your stuff every week. Um, having you guys on the pod, all that kind of stuff. Really hope we can work together in the future. Uh, absolutely love what you guys are doing. And if you're listening, we'll drop all this links in the, in the, in the bio, uh, go and check it out because, um, They've got some great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. And on to bigger and better things, hopefully. So next year is, um, yeah, it's looking up for us, I think. We've only got one more guest this year uh, that I'm really stoked about. Um, And then we start wrapping up with uh, yourself in May. Um, I can't believe we're nearly at the end of, we're doing a second end of year stuff coming up soon. Yeah, it's absolutely flying. Um, Kicking off year two, weekly episodes. more and more guests on just really getting to know the yeah. local scene and um yeah it's been an absolute blast absolutely um and i think it feels good coming into the end of the year i feel like last year we we're a bit stop start this year we've just fucking been absolutely hammering it and, uh, it feels good so thank you if you're still listening uh for hanging around um we're really excited for next year so yeah, yeah. Please hang around. It'll be it'll be so cool. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please hang around. Anyway, that's enough of us. So thanks for listening. <laughs> Please don't listen. Don't forget to subscribe. Please don't listen. <laughs> Please don't forget to listen. <laughs> Next week. Uh, leave a rating review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Helps the show a lot. Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at press.con.pod on both platforms. Uh, check out our Facebook group, the Press Conference Society. Uh, and let us know what you think, you know, if it's good, if it's bad, if it's average, if you don't listen, fucking let us know too. (laughs) We, uh, yeah, just want to hear your thoughts regardless. So yeah, hit us up and, uh, thank you for listening. Yep. Enjoy this last track. Mac Miller, Dano recorded at the Spotify studios. So, uh, this is a cracker. See you then. Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
Fucking almost missed my flight. I wasn't even tripping. I said it's alright. Goddamn, we was hit last night. Wouldn't you rather get along? Wouldn't you rather get along? You was coughing when you hit my wheel. But I never seen you feel that free, yeah, 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 yeah. So cool, you wanna be like me, yeah. Wouldn't you rather get along? Wouldn't you rather get along? Until, until there is no longer. Let's get lost inside the cloud. I was busy when you hit my phone, but you missed me. Told me come back home, and you don't really like to sleep alone. But I'm taking too long. I'm always taking too long. Yeah, baby, we don't need a trip. We could be right here. Shit get weird, we can switch up gears. I wanna see them lips kissing ear to ear. I wanna hear your song. Oh, I wanna feel just how you feel. Touch you one more time so I know you're real. We could spin that wheel. Wouldn't you rather get along? Your favorite, I know. 